It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the What's Real Podcast. This is episode 187 uh, on an undercover cop. Uh, I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my cohort, co-conspirator, co-contributor, and my co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, Jaboris the J? Oh, it's completely pumped up. Hey, Ed, we are rounding out season four of the What's Roll podcast. We'll be getting into it with programming notes and things, but we are down to two official episode counts of the show for our uh, season finale of season four, closing out 2023. And it's just unbelievable, man, that we've been putting this out every week since 2020 and doing our thing and creating our world. But uh, I'm just reflecting here at the beginning. Hey, Ed, but don't worry. I am as pumped as ever and ready for episode 187. All murder and homicide this week, but instead with timing, it's all about Christmas and <laughs> the old tide. Nothing but positive vibes for the murder number. Hey, you know, welcome to the Dubar question mark. The pulsation nation is here. Let's do it. Hey, you well, speak for yourself because nothing but negative vibes for me because fuck everything. No, I'm kidding. Sort of. Um, yeah, we got a good show for you guys lined up this week. Of course, we're going to get into all the NFL stuff that we normally do, including <sighs> Steelers football and our weekly power rankings. So that'll be fun. And of course, it's a double dose of holiday fun because we're going to take a look at two holiday themed movies. Uh, we're going to go back to 1988 with good old Bill Murray and take a look at Scrooged. And we're going to get into some murder and mayhem when we head back to 1974 with the Bob Clark horror classic, Black Christmas. And of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much, much more. So let's just get into it. The J, um, we have sort of an announcement of, of sorts, I guess, uh, about some programming notes coming up here. As the J mentioned, we're kind of hitting the, the end of the year, uh, which means you guys are going to get a new show this week and a new show the following week. And then we're going to get into some holiday specials for you guys. Um, so just as a programming note there uh, to end out the year. And I guess something we could talk about, too, is a new segment that's going to be coming to the What's Real podcast. Most likely in the new year, I would assume, is probably the best way to do it. Uh, it is called the What's Real Culture. Uh, what this is going to kind of be is something different, basically, than what we already do on the show. It's going to be kind of a rotating segment with me and the J. And where we're going to pick out a certain particular topic uh, or something we'd like to talk about, and we're going to do kind of a deep dive on it. Um, now, I know it kind of sounds vague uh, because there's really not much to announce about it until we start doing the episodes, but I promise you guys it's going to be something pretty cool, and it's going to be quite different from the stuff that we already do. Um, it, chances are it's going to be outside of the typical themes of the show, so we probably won't be covering anything about you know, the National Football League. Uh, there might be some movie-related stuff, but it's probably not going to be movie reviews. Um, you might, you know, for example, hear us talk about uh, what happened on the Twilight Zone movie set uh, when two children and actor Vic Morrow died. Uh, something like that. Um, pro wrestling. Uh, th there could be pro wrestling topics, but it's not going to be about, you know, a particular show or anything like that. It's just going to be uh, about maybe a particular subject or something involved in pro wrestling. 
And it's not going to be something that you guys have heard a billion times over. So we can kind of bring a, a unique perspective on that. So that should be pretty fun to do the J, but it's, it's going to be something a little different than what we typically do here on the program. I'm looking forward to it, man. We, we talk about never wanting to plateau with our creative endeavors and with the year rounding out and what we consider seasons of our podcast with what's real uh, this year ending means the end of season four, as I was ranting about to, to open the show. And we, we kind of wanted to introduce a new segment and with all the stuff we cover, kind of, we always mention the quote unquote pop culture umbrella and all the stuff that interests us and, and the what's real podcast being a variety show. And what can we do that's, that's different. And, you know, one of the things that we discuss, we don't have a lot of time and, and talk uh, music, which is one of those passions that's under that pop culture umbrella that we, we barely dip into, you know, we've brought music up in, in the seasons of the what's real podcast, but never really delved into it. But we're kind of like, you know, that's, that's, that's just kind of throwing out there just another normal kind of average segment. Let's think even deeper. And, and I think that's what we got with, with this idea with the what's real culture is kind of just, again, taking a, a, an umbrella of things that interest us, but then peeling back layers and diving deeper. It, it's almost like when we took the, the movie segments and, and added our, our latest one, of all our movie segments, which is the Fridays at midnight, because we want to kind of go in, in, into darker territory with our the, the films that we watch and more obscure things and, and really go into our psyche and in the depths of our pop culture knowledge and, and kind of go that route to, to stand out on the What's Real podcast to our own unique you know, things that we, we like to really dive into. And that's kind of what this new segment idea is going to do. As you mentioned, it's kind of beyond just your typical movies and pro wrestling as even when we introduce things that are in those worlds we're, with this segment, we're going to go to the behind the scenes, like you said, and, and beyond the, the entertainment forms of it and kind of go into like the real life and the grittiness and, and, you know, kind of like the movies that made us like how it affect, you know, affected our lives, you know, actually, you know, in, in our real lives and things like that. So uh, I think it's a really cool uh, idea and it's something that I'm looking forward to exploring in, in season five. Yeah. And I think that people are going to be surprised by some of the stuff that we do on here for sure. And it's also going to be something too, that's, uh, it's going to have a little bit of a different aim and audience than a lot of our typical stuff does, because I'll be honest with you, if you don't give a damn about NFL football, you probably don't want to hear us talk about football or anyone talk about football. Uh, but the What's Real Culture is going to be kind of a segment where you might not be super familiar or even familiar at all with what the subject matter is, but we promise you that it's going to be interesting and it's going to be something that might surprise you. Um, and it also allows us to kind of, you know, uh, kind of shoehorn some different stuff into the show that we previously just had nowhere to put it. Like you said about the music stuff too. And also one of the things I don't think, and we've kind of talked about this to Jay, but like, I don't think it would benefit anybody if we just had another review segment on the show. That's kind of boring at this point to just do another different thing to do it. Um, and you know, a lot of that stuff there's not, and, and you know, a lot of times there's a lot of things that we could do, but week to week, there's not a lot of traction with a lot of stuff. Like we could talk about wrestling every single week, but it's already covered elsewhere and it's things that are done, you know, by a million different people. And the stuff that we're going to do on What's Real Culture is not going to be that. It's going to be stuff that 
most people either have not heard about or aren't familiar with in or you might have heard of it, but you're not familiar with it in the way that we're about to talk about it type stuff. So uh, it's going to definitely be a different layer to the show. And it's I, I think that, you know, speaking for both of us, it's going to be pretty interesting and, and kind of fun for us, too, to see, you know, like what we can dig up and what we can kind of talk about to, you know, kind of bring some difference to the show and, you know, do a little bit of different stuff for us, too. So that's kind of fun. Exactly. And that's why it's a great idea just with the example you just brought up with pro wrestling. And, and for those that have been listeners for some time, we used to do what was called the variety hour opening segment where Hey Ed and I would throw a bunch of uh, topics at each other that was basically like the news of the week that fit under, you know, again, the, the interests of, of us as far as like entertainment news, sports news and things like that. But we kind of realized and, and it was fine for the time it lasted. But one of the reasons that we kind of sifted it out of the show and the programming was the fact that doing one show a week, so much happens in modern day. It's just too t tough to keep up. I mean, off the bat, just talking, you know, when we record the show during the week and then it drops a few days later, those topics you talked about kind of come and go because it's such a fast paced world. You have the Internet and social media. Everything is thrown at everybody so fast that it's just tough to keep up. And, and we're kind of whittling things down to keep talking about the variety of stuff that we like, to keep talking about the stuff that we're passionate about, but also trying to make it as, as timeless of a conversation and, and of subject matter as possible. Because even though we, we record the show as if people that listen to it, listen to it when it drops every Friday, uh, you know, we still want to be able to have a catalog that you can go back and listen to any time. And that's what's good about the timestamping of our show too, because you could still do that. So like, for example, if you go back to season three, hypothetically, like a random episode and it has NFL segments in it, or it has a, a pro wrestling show in it that we cover, th those can be fast forwarded and you can get to some of the stuff that we talk about of movie reviews and goose or goose stuff, stuff where the timing of it doesn't really matter. You know, so I think that's what this idea really helps with, too, is is being a segment that is something we're passionate about and isn't necessarily like a time topical thing, you know, whatsoever. So that will help yeah. the show, too. And that's one of the more challenging things about doing a podcast because, I mean, I think I could speak for both of us on this. We both enjoy covering the NFL on here in our own way and giving you guys kind of our perspective on, you know, the Steelers games and things like that. But I also realized, too, that, like, you know, if you're listening to a show from three years ago, like, I wouldn't want to listen to that either. At that that's point. what I'm saying. So yeah. that, that's kind of like the week-to-week -week stuff that we do. But, you know, I, I feel like we give you guys a lot of different stuff that still makes the shows worthwhile, like especially if you want to go back and listen to some of the stuff we talk about movie-wise and things like that, that's still in there. Um, so it's not all a lost cause or anything, but I couldn't imagine doing a show basically that was all weekly stuff and it's basically just, you know, like, all right, everything old is basically pointless to listen to. It kind of feels like a fruitless effort at that point. So we're definitely going to move a little bit away from that. And it's also going to give us uh, a lot more opportunities and things to, you know, to do stuff when there isn't the NFL or when we don't have, you know, maybe the world of wrestling's kind of like, you know, on a lower level at the current time period and stuff like that. So, you know, we can deep dive into some other stuff, kind of like what we do every February when we kind of pick a, a person to kind of highlight for a month and talk about that. 
Uh, it's not easy. That can become in- incredibly cumbersome for us, but it's always extremely rewarding after the fact. And looking back on what we do in that month at the end of February, it's been something now going on for two to three years that I've been pretty proud of. And and it was a lot of fun to do it after the fact too. So, and that's when the NFL season's winding down and things like that. So it's also a good transition into moving away from our football coverage for the year. And it's too hard to cover other sports because, you know, basketball and baseball and things like that, They the games happen daily and it's just too much to have to cover. And when, I mean, as much as we like doing the show, we do not have the time uh, to do, you know, five shows a week or something like that. Like, this is not our job. So until that would come, and that's a pipe dream to say the least, um, this is the way we're going to be kind of handling our coverage of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you said from the door, things are going to take course organically. And that's kind of what we're looking at is just where we're at now, you know, here in the present, living in the moment and what we want to do with the show. Because at the end of the day, I think when we first started the show, of course, we're like gung ho and you have these all, you know, all these ideas and the traditional delusions of grandeur and you're bright eyed and bushy tailed. And and you're kind of like, like my thing was like, okay, we're going to do this variety. Cause you know, we've talked about this numerous times. It, we were kind of throwing ideas on on what we wanted the What's Real podcast to be before it was even called What's Real. And, and we're like, oh, we could definitely do a pro wrestling show. And it's like, yeah, but there's so many out there. We could do an NFL show, but there's so many out there. So it's like, okay, we're going to do what you and I would want to listen to, which is like all our interests in one package, you know, this variety show that's What's Real has become. But what goes in that too is I kind of like wanted to puff my chest out and be like, I want to show the world and stand out because I have deep knowledge of the NFL. I have deep knowledge of pro wrestling. I have deep knowledge of all these movies, but I could also talk baseball. I could also talk UFC. But like you said, that idea kind of got worn thin because there's only so much time. There's only so much coherent talk you can have on singular topics. So that's why, where I think the, the show evolved the way it did to, to where now we're kind of focused on, you know, molding things down and, and really getting to the nitty gritty of what we want to have expertise on, what we want to have fun talking about and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that's just where, where we're at. And I think that's what this segment idea really encompasses all of that, you know, everything we're kind of talking about now with the show in, in one segment, you know, it's kind of just going back and forth the two of us picking topics under this umbrella that we really want to dissect with each other. And and we even said it could be this segment where it's kind of like, I'm just the co-pilot. Like I don't even have much of a, uh, an interest or knowledge of the particular topic you have. And you could kind of present it to, to even me for the listeners. And I think that that also creates a a cool, you know, new aspect, a new dimension to the show. So yeah, hopefully this, this uh, goes as good as we're thinking it could be. Uh, But yeah, we wanted to kind of discuss some of the plans that we have for the show uh, rounding out yet another season. And I I guess that takes the cat out of the bag too. Hey, Ed talking out loud. We we always like to make the official announcement, but uh, we're, we're definitely going to give it uh, another go here. The what's real family and team, Myself, Hey Ed, and, and the wizard behind the boards, as we call him, our producer Cam, uh, we are going to produce a season five of the What's Roll podcast in 2024. So uh, this is all that that entails, and we wanted to kind of just bring it up to to those on the journey with us. And you know, it's one of those things as as well, Hey Ed, as we kind of wrap up and, and think about new ideas, where you kind of realize without much feedback, like our show doesn't have 
much interaction on social media. And that's another thing we're, we're looking at some, some, some avenues there. So we'll have announcements uh, again, as, as the show evolves and, and organically grows uh, going into 2024. Uh, but without any feedback, you know, we kind of just got to use the feedback of each other and cam and, and some of our friends that, that listen and stuff. So it's very minimal. So we just got to keep doing what we're doing and, and having fun, which is still there, which is why we're still doing it. And, and making sure that we're both doing stuff that we want to spend the time on because, you know, again, like I reiterate, man, this is, it's not easy to do, you know, at the core of it, we're just talking. We're two close friends that can shoot the shit about anything. But at the end of the day, we, we do put a lot into the show. We put effort into it. You know, there's, there's no films that, that we review on here that we don't watch and prepare for the show. You know, we watch the NFL every week. I watch the red zone. We both have fantasy football teams. There's a lot of effort in this and I'm not somebody, especially where I'm at in my life, that's going to look to waste my time. So hopefully that is something that will, you know, be under the spotlight for people that take the time as well to listen to us too, because we're, we're putting a lot of effort into this. Yeah. And I mean, we both see the thing is too, if you guys listen to the show, I'm sure you probably realized that me and Jared have a lot of things in common. I mean, we've been friends for over 30 years. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is me and you are into a lot of things that the other person isn't into as well. Like yeah. there, there's a lot of that as well. So we can kind of bring that to the show when need be too. Uh, and we're like you said, like, you know, I'm happy to take the co-pilot seat on stuff like that because I know you and I know the stuff that you're into, even if I'm not into it. And I know that you have a passion for that. And if that helps to make the show more fun for you that particular week, then I don't have a problem with that either. And I think that it can, it can kind of like expand beyond what we typically do. And that's never a bad thing. Um, and then on top of it, like you said, uh, moving forward, like, I'm, I, we do talk about some of this stuff on the show, but we don't like get into super, super detail. But like both of us have, you know, creative aspirations and goals for the next year and things that we're working on outside of the podcast. So, I mean, if that stuff is really ramped up and things like that with our regular lives, it's like the podcast could quickly take a backseat to a lot of that stuff. So we're trying to find new and exciting ways to get listeners and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys, obviously, if you're listening to the show, if there's anything you'd like to, I can't say that enough. I mean, like we're out here just kind of doing our own thing. Uh, if you listen to the show every week, we do want to hear from you. It's something that, you know, we've been working with, uh, like Jared said, without having a lot of the feedback and stuff like that. And, you know, we would love to make the show more interactive and things like that with people. But until there's a vocal audience out there uh, for the particular things that we do, it's kind of difficult to do that. And I understand too that that's difficult because the podcasting world is frankly completely watered down and oversaturated. That's something too that I know both of us deal with on a regular basis where sometimes we feel like maybe doing a podcast necessarily isn't particularly worth it because of what we're dealing with as far as competition from everyone else. Not to say we don't want to do the show or we're, we're not putting the effort into it. It's just like, are we really needed here? Because there's other creative outlets that we have that we would be needed and could do really cool things. So it comes down to that. You know, we're, it's just where we're choosing to put our creative time into things. And, you know, we don't have 24 hours a day to do that. These things are not our jobs. We have regular jobs and things we do to essentially pay our bills. So, you know, if it's not uh, attracting the attention or we feel like it's kind of a fruitless effort, then we could certainly take our talents elsewhere and just do other things. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
no man hey what goes up must come down everything ends you know so who knows when that will be for the what's real podcast but we're not worried about that as we're announcing coming back for season five (laughs) you know we'll definitely take it day to day episode to episode week to week as things go and and like you said as far as our unmutual interest that, that we know we each have that we're not you know, both uh, as interested in as the other, like you said, uh, for for me, as you know, with getting beautiful little little people, uh, women to uh, tickle my feet with feathers. Like we're not going to talk yeah. about those and, kind of fetishes on here. <laughs> no, and I and I hate feathers. So like that's that's a massive I was, difference. I was trying to, to say that as a joke, and I'm, I'm trying to be I'm trying to be PC to little little people wimp. Like You're the beautiful, <laughs> beautiful little. little I'm basically women. I'm basically trying to say little women. <laughs> I love beautiful not, little women tickling my feet with feathers. Is what I'm trying to. Yeah, say. he he means the women from the book, little women, <laughs> yeah. not not small people. I get turned like, on by those like weird contraptions the women back then wore that like made them look like horses or whatever. You know, again, their dresses. What are those girdles? Girdles. <laughs> and see, and I'm really into that one sport. You know what, what's it called? Water. Like, uh, no, no. <laughs> You I'm know, on a fetish thing ch- now, hey, Ed. See? The, the, the one where the, the chicks wail on each other? Oh, yeah. Uh, foxy boxing. Foxy boxing, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know me and my foxy boxing. So, yeah, we're, we're both degenerate pieces of shit. And it wouldn't really do much to bring that stuff to the show unless, well, maybe. I don't fucking weirdos out there would probably rather listen to that well, shit. Well, it's, yeah, it's hilarious. Doing, I'm not even kidding that you brought that up when I was doing the, the research for goose or goofs uh, and I'm not using it. So it works out to, to throw out there here. There was a, I'm not using it. So here it is. <laughs> yeah, here it is. Just, well, just cause you brought up Foxy boxing. It was two hookers fighting over a $20 bill in the, in the streets oh, of LA man. or some shit. So. I, I would have loved that. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, and the one's titties were out. So it was pretty perfect. Pretty God damn it. Well, before we degenerate into more horseshit, we have plenty of more horseshit to gener- degenerate into. But before we do that, we're up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, it's all things NFL, is we're going to talk about the hideous fucking Steeler game from last week. We're going to make some predictions. And of course, we're going to have our weekly power rankings. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for the season finale of the What's Real Podcast, episode 188. The NFL season rolls on, and so does our coverage of the NFL with Steelers football predictions on our weekly power rankings. Then the holiday season continues. It's more Christmas spectacular specials right here exclusively in the month of December and on the season finale of the What's Real Podcast. Ha! This is Timothy James. Still holding on there with my job and my contract. We got lawyers involved, but I still represent Goose or Goose, GRG. The guys talk about crazy, funny things like hood bike leagues, guys missing their skull, a Chicago team sleeps with all five of his bullies' moms to his third dominance. I'm about to do that to you two. I'm going to sleep with your moms. Yo, get that motherfucker, the J. Piece of shit. Yeah. Fuck him. <laughs> oh, uh, all that and much more next week on the season finale of the What's Real Podcast.
Hey everybody, this is Herman James with the What's Your Room Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right, if you would like to advertise here on the What's Your Room Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we can hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. And we're back, and it is time once again to get into some NFL talk, specifically first up about our Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and, of course, I'm talking about our loss last weekend to the 3-10, and the now 3-10 and Arizona Cardinals, 24-10. to The Steelers' record goes to 7-5 and on the season and creates quite a log jam in the uh, AFC wildcard scenario. And as we do here on the show, the J... We do the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I don't know about you, but this week, it's just the ugly for me because I have nothing <laughs> in the good and nothing in the bad. Yeah, just uh, for podcast discussion, hey, you know, uh, we'll drag out what we can for good. And all things considered, I could still probably confidently throw in Najee and Jalen. Uh, if there was one thing they did well, and the problem was they probably just didn't do enough of it. Like then it was running. They started off the game kind of <laughs> like it was looking good at first. Like they looked like yeah, because that's look at it. You're coming in with Arizona having a weak rushing defense, and you know, like you said, that was evident early. They were doing pretty good, and then the team just started passing too often on on second down. You know, and it's one of those things in the NFL where you realize you have to create you know, do your best to create a reasonable third down situation. And that's one of the problems the Steelers have had this year is these third and eights, third and nines, third and tens. And that's what that turns into again. Uh, but when they did run the football, they did run it well. So, you know, I think they had, let me pull it up because I have stuff in front of me here. Uh, 130 yards on the yeah, ground. Yeah, so. Najee had 63 yards off 16 carries for a 3.9 average. And Jalen Warren, uh, the man who cannot have more than nine rushes in a game, had nine for 59 yards with a 6.6 average. Uh, neither got into the end zone, of course. Uh, and it's funny, too, because uh, Trubisky had three rushes for five yards and Pickett had three for three yards, which basically entailed them running for their lives. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, that's about the only yeah. thing you could even consider remotely good. I have absolutely nothing in that category. No, I mean, just maybe uh, TJ and Alex Highsmith with the edge rushing. I mean, they made a lot of plays. Uh, they did stop Connor early, although he ended up having a pretty good game. But those two did all right. Of course, you know, we could talk about uglies and bads with TJ's um, ankle injury, although he did finish the game. But, yeah, that's that's just squeezing out some – some semblance of positivity in a otherly negative game because I have a whole laundry list here of negative. Shots. All right. So let's, <laughs> let's move over to the bads, which again, I don't have anything this week. So hit us with some bad stuff to Jay. 
Uh, some bad stuff. Yeah, you, you know what? Hey, Ed, let, let's go with you. Let's let's just skip the bad and just call. We're just going to do good and ugly. Okay. This week, let, uh, because I, I think it was very ugly. All around. let me start us off in the ugly category. Uh, first and foremost, fucking Deontay Johnson. Nothing like celebrating. Uh, you like you just won the Super Bowl. Whenever you scored a touchdown, uh, when you're getting hammered by the other team. Uh, that is just a huge tell to him. He his fucking sucks. Persona. I don't want him here anymore. I don't care. Uh, I've seen people say, like, well, who else are you going to get? I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I, the offense is anemic as fuck anyway. It's not like this dude's blowing it up. Um, it, it, he's not. That was his second touchdown pass. In yeah, the he's just not worth having on the team. He runs backwards still. He's a constant distraction. He pouts. Like, we're one week away. Or from him pouting like a bitch because he didn't get a touchdown. And then when he gets one, when we're getting stomped by a fucking team with two wins, he couldn't be fucking happier. It's, he's an ass, it, and I, I just don't want him here. I'm, I'm done with this dude. It's over. It's done. You know what else goes in a personal perspective with that here on the What's Real podcast is just last week, we did a review of Bye Bye, Bye Barry, the biography documentary about Barry Sanders where he flipped the ball after doing the sickest shit ever. And then in real time, you have our current number one receiver doing and that dude, in this game, you know, going nuts over a, a touchdown he scored trailing to a team that has two fucking... And this is something that I wanted to mention here on this segment because, as you know, we've talked about this consistently for like the last three years about how much of a moron Antonio Brown is. Um, I can say this for a fact, and I'm sure you can too because you watched all the games like I did. Say what you want about the guy, but when he scored a garbage touchdown when the Steelers were losing, he wasn't dancing in the end zone. He was pissed we were losing, as he should have been. Exactly. Yeah, that was a huge deal for Deontay to act like And here's the thing too. Deontay Johnson had a good season, and then he's had two kind of crappy ones, right? What is what is he going to suddenly be a fucking all-pro next year? Like, no, it's done. He's done. We've seen his ceiling, and that was with a Hall of Fame quarterback. He can't do that stuff again with whoever the Steelers have behind center. Um, so I just don't want him here anymore. It's they're, they're paying the guy $18 million a year to do this shit. I've had enough. Yep. I'll, I'll throw at you the the big the probably the biggest ugly because uh, you'll agree so we can both have our opinion on this I already know and, and that's what everybody in the city is talking about after this game and that's Mike Tomlin worst loss uh, of his career in my opinion yeah we're yeah I mean you can't have that type of f- performance and not put the head coach out there you know I mean the whole thing's miserable this isn't even a trap game idea. This was just a team that was completely flat. You know, last last week I remember, hey Ed, you had Chris Boswell in the good because he's Mister Consistent. Even he missed a forty-five yard field goal in this. This was one of those games where just everything was going bad. Yep, it's dude Tomlin is losing me, and it dude you're. One of the things they said coming into this game is how the Steelers were like the third least penalized team in the entire NFL. So then we go on to have a game with a shitload of lousy fucking penalties. Um, The team just doesn't look prepared. Every week we have to hear how they didn't execute. Well, if a team's not executing, that's on the head coach. He's not getting the team prepared. And I heard something this week uh, from Joe Schobert, 
who was a former linebacker. I believe the last season he was here was 2021. Uh, and he said the way that the Steelers do things behind the scenes is it's on you to prepare and do, do what you need to do to get out there on Sunday. So it's a team that is leaned on veteran leadership. And there's plenty of coaches that do that. I don't particularly have a problem with that. But it makes sense because when you look at the Steelers team, who are the guys that are consistently good? Uh, TJ Watt, um, Minka, Cam, you know, the veterans. Who on the team is consistently bad? Uh, rookies, uh, dudes that just never were. Like a lot of the linemen plays, just shitty. Guys that aren't developed. Like say what you want about good performances or not. You see a lot of stupid, shitty stuff. Example from playing on the line from like guys like Chooks and Dan Moore. But you don't see that kind of stuff from Daniels and Samalu, the veterans out of the group. Um, you know, the, one of the young players that I feel like we do see the proper amount of preparation and stuff in is Jalen Warren. And I guess that's more of a testament to him as a professional than it is to the coach or anything else going on, on the team. But it sucks. And you know that I've been saying this for years because we've always talked about the Steelers. I've always stood up for Mike Tomlin. I still think Mike Tomlin was a better coach than Bill Cowher was. Um, but he's losing it here. Teams, and when they have a coach for a long time, you see them kind of run their course. I think we're seeing kind of the same thing, oddly enough, with the team that we're about to be playing upcoming this week in the New England Patriots. It's just that it's a lot, it, it's not the same anymore. And it's hard to get that back. And sometimes, too, it's just a generation passes you up where it's like a coach has an old school kind of style and it just doesn't work anymore. Now, that's not what I'm talking about with Tomlin here, but it is getting to the point like, uh, and I'm not like fire this dude, he fucking sucks. I just think that his time might be up here and that's the best way to put it. After a, a Hall of Fame career. Of course. I mean, yeah, you know, he's an absolute Hall of Fame. Here. It's just, we, we were just saying what goes up must come down and everything has its end. So that, that goes right in there with that flow of the show. Hey, you know, I, I have a double whammy ugly here uh, because that goes in with a Landon Roberts getting hurt, which sucks because, you know, talk about the the few guys that are consistent. It turned out um, to be a pretty good line. Like that's a dude that like I, I want him to come back next year. I think he's developed into a pretty good player. Yep. I would agree with that. And then, uh, again, hand-in-hand hand with this ugly, with Landon Roberts being hurt, was Mikel Walker, who was picked on the moment Landon Roberts left the game. Uh, l- let me just break down some of these lowlights hey, you know, for Mikel Walker here. Tight end Trey McBride went after him, and quarterback Kyler Murray repeatedly looked his way on third he down. He looked like Tony fucking Gonzalez, by the way. Yes, and that included the Cardinals' 99-yard touchdown drive to close the, the first Completely half after we were stopped on fourth and one. That was horrific. That really just swayed the game. I mean, the Cardinals didn't look back after that. That was kind of like and the, dude, the knockout. Were much. you like me? Like when you watched the game and that happened, it was like, oh, shit. I know what this is leading yeah. to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it went from us scoring a touchdown to the two and whatever Cardinals you know, coming 99 yards on our defense. Uh, but Walker also crucially missed a tackle on a third and six run by Michael Carter. And that was earlier in that 99 yard drive. I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, that stops that drive. And, and like we said, sways the game and poor Mikel Walker ended his day by getting stiff armed and knocked down by James Connor on an official game ceiling run. So 
Walker's definitely in the ugly with with those low lights. And dude, the sad thing is, is I almost don't even blame the dude. He was signed to the practice squad. And before you know it, he has the fucking green dot on defense. Like it's it's just asking too much from a guy like that. But you're right. I mean, his play was not good. Um, I just don't know if you could completely kill the guy for it. But you're right. It was just a shitty performance. Um, while we're at it, let's since you brought up a Landon Roberts, let's just get to it. A Landon Roberts hurt. TJ Watt hurt. Uh, Minka broke his fucking hand. Um, don't forget our starting quarterback. <laughs> who? Pick it. Oh yeah, that's right, man. Um, <laughs> that dude, that the, his fuck dude, and and here's something. This is why I'm gonna put Pickett in the ugly this week too. Um, and I don't know if you thought about this at all when you were watching the game. I thought about it almost immediately when they were talking about the way his ankle was wrapped and everything. I don't think he should have been playing this game anyways. Again, I'm of the belief that if you couldn't beat the two win fucking Cardinals with your backup quarterback, you're not very good. Um, and frankly. We're not very good. So it just is what it is. It's a fucking mess. And I don't know if you saw this or not. There was uh, Gary Dulac, uh, who is one of the lead reporters for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, he writes for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, they came out and said that after the Cleveland game, there, were, there was consideration about benching Pickett. And I know that might not sound like a good thing, but it kind of made me happy, and I'll tell you why. Because it shows me that they're not completely sold on this dude. And that's kind of where we're at with it. And I know that they're not going to. I know it's a pipe dream, right? But here's the thing. You have him. He's cheap. I don't think anybody would complain about him being a backup quarterback. Like, I don't think he's that bad. You know, he could be a backup in the NFL. Well, maybe it's time to get rid of Mason. Tell Mitch to fucking hit the bricks. Move Kenny into the backup role and see what else you can get, whether it be drafting someone else and starting from scratch with a new offensive coordinator. Maybe it's going out and spending $45 million to bring in somebody like Kirk Cousins. Uh, a friend of mine brought something up, and this is, there's no basis in this, but I think it's a good point. There is a particular NFL team this year having a really bad season with a quarterback who is one of the highest paid in the league and a lot of people and my friends one of them can foresee him potentially asking for a trade after the season see if you can figure out who this is off the top of the jay it's not any it's not lamar jackson or anybody like that but think of the highest paid quarterbacks in the nfl and one of them's on a really bad team yeah i was trying to trying to think of that uh, shit the, on the spot. Because one of the people they, that you and I have talked about is inactive is Cam. No, 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 no. You this know, dude's like, in the league and he's currently playing. I'll give you a clue. His team won the game this weekend without scoring a touchdown. Okay. Uh, would that be the Chargers? Justin Herbert. Herbert now, yeah. here's the thing. If he wants out, it's still going to take a significant haul, right? Like you're still going to have to pay up for him. I don't see the Steelers. I don't either. I absolutely don't either. But uh, give them a first-round draft pick. Okay, fine. That's fine because the Steelers ain't going to be picking top 10 anyway, so you wouldn't be able to get like a, you know, like the best absolute recruit coming out from college unless you trade it anyways. You have Deontay Johnson. Uh, maybe, and I know people aren't going to like this, but follow me here, the Jay. Maybe it's time to move away from, from Cam. 
He's getting up there. Putting him across a defense with Joey Bosa might be something that they're interested in. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take to get him, right? But his salary's fucking high. That's going to be a problem too, especially with the amount of money that we have out on our defense. But, I mean, you're going to have to try and do something here, in my opinion, and I know they won't, but in my opinion, I'm trying to fix that quarterback situation as fucking fast as I can, and then I'll let everything else kind of go back into place. And plus, if you bring somebody like Herbert here, I feel like that's somebody that can absolutely maximize what George Pickens is. Um, You might get something really decent that you didn't see previously out of Calvin Austin. Um, And then you also, and you know, one thing the Steelers are really good at is finding gem receivers in the draft. And there's a lot of them coming out. So maybe that's the path that they take. I don't know. Yeah, good points uh, abound. That that's what happens, man. You put uh, a lot of your chips on Pickett, and he's not your guy. It, it creates a lot of decision making, you know, because of how how many things you you put into that. Um, it, it's it's tough to say. I, you know, I know they're they're trying to ride him out. Now the injuries come in, but but the other big thing is Mitch coming in, like you said. I mean, he's not the dude either, and he didn't because uh, he didn't play bad. He he's good. You see why they have him. He's good enough for for like you said the backup duties and things. But and you don't necessarily expect him to come in and and you know be the next resurrection of Big Ben or anything. But on the other hand, too, uh, you know, like you said, dude, it's it's tough to get thrown in that situation. The inclement weather was terrible. I mean, we didn't even talk about oh, that. Man. It's not an excuse, but you know, my my wife and son actually were at the game. And, and had to leave early just because my son's 10. And at one point it was like before four and there was rumors the game wasn't going to start till five because the, the main thing is just safety and, and there was lightning and stuff. So uh, that, that all is what it is. But, it was, yeah, it was just a mess of a situation. But nonetheless, you know, Mitch comes in and, and we still get beat handedly uh, by the Cardinals. Uh, and so, dude, you know, just a lot of decisions to be made. And here's the thing. As a backup quarterback goes, is there that much difference between Kenny and Mitch? Pro- that's uh, that's another good but, point. But there is one big major difference: their salary. Mitch is getting yep. paid seven and a half million dollars. Like you could take that money and do a hell of a lot better with it almost anywhere else than on a backup quarterback. And you can kind of maybe reclimate. You know, like even put it this way: even if you were to go out and spend the money on somebody like a Kirk Cousins and bring him in here. Uh, Kenny sits behind him. And another thing that people tend to, this is what bothers me about Pickett. When everybody's like, well, you got to let him develop. You got to develop him. He's fucking 25, dude. You don't want to have him be developed by the time he's fucking 30. Like, it's kind of a moot point at that point. Like, yeah, there's, you got a window. That's, I think that's what everybody's seeing is, you know, that, that sample size example, that sample size example, everybody talk about, we don't have enough, you know, data to really, you know, see what Kenny's made of. And, and now, you know, we're going into week 14. The sample size is there. And we just broke 400 yards as a as an offense last week. Didn't come close to it again this week. So we, we broke 400 yards once in 50-plus games. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's still where we're and at. And a lot of people want to argue about why Kenny's regressed. And I think that that's really missing the point because it's like, who gives a shit? He's regressed. That's the only thing you need to understand. And bringing in a new offensive coordinator, 
means that you're going to bring in a new system that that he's going to have to learn and all the other players are going to have to learn. So wouldn't it be better if you just start over or bring in somebody like Cousins who is capable enough to learn a new system quite easily when somebody like Pickett might have more issues with it? It's just, it might, like you're doing, like a lot of things in football come down to timing and that might be the argument here. Not about developing guys and everything. It's just the simple fact that it's like we our coordinator's done. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't see, you know, uh, Faulkner or, or Sullivan being the offensive coordinator next year. So you're going to move away from that, bring in someone else, hopefully. Um, I mean, dude, if you're going to move on, then move on. It's time to get a new quarterback, get a new offensive coordinator, fix the offense, try and, you know, set the defense up for success down the line. And then run with it because things are fixable now. But if you keep pushing, you know, kicking the can down the field with Kenny Pickett, it, this might be like an eight-year process. So it's that I'm trying to stop the bleeding essentially by doing what I'm saying. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but like something should be done. Like don't just fucking roll with what you have. It's clearly not good enough. It's just not. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, something something needs to be done, and it's another another test this week, as as we must say when the the podcast drops. This fresh episode of what's real, uh, the Thursday night game would have taken place. Uh, so you know we'll, we'll see what happens, and we'll do our preview when we do our predictions. But this is going to be a big test this week to, against another bad team because you know this 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 kid couldn't you know and all these injuries couldn't hap- have happened at a worse time when the Steelers the last few years have had pretty tough schedules and this year hands down one of the easiest schedules that I can remember in recent memory the Steelers have yeah so and. They're probably going to end up limping their way into the playoffs somehow, which isn't a good thing, especially for building the team for the future and stuff like that. So we're going to have to see how it all shakes out. But that's pretty much all I have in the uglies, the Jay. I think we kind of covered just how shitty of a game this was, really. Yeah, I mean, you could keep going. I, I just my notes were Miles Killebrew because he's the special teams captain, and he had not one head, not two head, but three. Penalties Dude, uh, himself. I, I don't know how you feel about this. Just throwing this out there real quick. Uh, minusing uh, Chris Boswell from the situation. Um, but, dude, we've seen a steady decline from the special teams this season, too. It's been pretty messy from a crappy punter that's really good sometimes and really bad other times. Yeah, just and, inconsistent. Yeah, just bad yep. penalties and stupid shit that really. And, and even the special teams coach getting hurt, he's on the DL. Yeah. So <laughs> on top of it all, it kind of says it's it It's just been a really bad year all around for that kind of stuff for the Steelers. And whenever you don't have a good offense and your defense isn't always there and they're banged up, you need the special teams to come through for you, and they're actually hurting us. So it, it's yeah. kind of a mess. But we we definitely need to move on. Hey Ed, but this is where we get all our frustrations out. You and I here on the What's Real podcast into the ether. So last but not least, let's just throw them out there because this was a big one. A lot of people were talking about talking about. So I don't want to move on without saying his name, and that was Mason Cole because center he fucking is going to be high on the team's yeah, list of needs. Dude, <laughs> he, he might be the worst center in the National Football League. Yeah, two two poor snaps that really cost us. You know, one one that went off his own ass. Yeah, and Pickett had to basically just fall on it. And like, dude, it's, I know it's slick conditions, but get your shit together. Goddamn, like come on. And, yeah, and I think that that's a big complaint we can make too, because let's be honest, 
The Steelers have had three of the absolute greatest centers in NFL history, almost back to back to back. So, yeah, yeah, it's time to go get one, guys. Like, let's fucking sure up the line. And that's not helping Pickett either. So, uh, and dude, it might just be a failed experiment. He might be completely just destroyed by bad offensive line, poor coaching and everything. And it's not easy to recover from that. Let's just put it that way. So, but as we get into our predictions, this was the first one that we had with uh, that we were both wrong on because we thought the Steelers would be able to pull this one out. But we were incorrect on that one, of course. So let's just mark them down the line. Uh, The one that we were correct on, and this ended up being a way better game than I expected, was last week's Thursday night game with the Dallas Cowboys beating the Seahawks 41 to 35 uh, for the Cowboys to go nine and three on the season and the Seahawks go to six and six. Uh, other than that, we also uh, both picked, I believe, the Colts uh, to win their game, which they did in overtime, 31-28. to The Colts go 7-5 and on the season, causing the logjam at the wild card position, and the Titans dropped to 4-8. and uh, Next up was the Chargers being able to beat the New England Patriots 6 to nothing uh, in a barn burner of a game. Uh, but that is what it is with both of those teams. The Patriots fall to two and ten on the season, and the Chargers go to five and seven. Uh, the Lions would go on to correct things this week and get a win against the Saints, and they would do so thirty-three to twenty-eight. The Lions go nine and three on the season. The Saints fall to five and seven. Uh, this one, I believe, we split on the J. Uh, I might be wrong on that though. Don't quote me on it. Uh, and that is the Falcons getting a big win this week. Uh, to lead their division at six and six, they beat the Jets thirteen to eight. The Jets fall to four and eight on the season. Uh, we both had that. Also, we both picked the Dolphins this week to beat the Washington Commanders, and they did that handedly. Uh, they would win forty-five to fifteen. The Dolphins are currently the number one seed in the AFC at nine and three. The Commanders fall to four and nine on the season. Also, uh, I picked this one wrong. You got this one right. The J. The Texans beat the Broncos twenty-two to seventeen in a close game. The Texans are now that was a good game. are now seven and five. The Broncos are six and six, and that's what basically kept us entertained during multiple weather delays during the Steeler game. Yeah, uh, we both got this one correct, I believe. The Jay, the Bucks beat the one and eleven Panthers. They are t- they did it twenty-one to eighteen, and they go to five and seven on the season. Uh, the Rams would go on to beat the uh, Browns in one that we both sniffed out. They won 36 to 19. The Rams are six and six. The Browns fall to seven and five. Really a tale of two uh, teams where the Browns seem to be faltering. And the Rams are pouring it on, man. The Rams might actually be formidable moving forward. We'll have to see how that works out. Another one that we split on the J, and this one uh, I'm proud of because it's a I told you so one. Yeah. The Niners beat the Eagles, dude. I seen this one coming and they won big. It was 42 to 19. I thought it would have been close. The Niners go to nine and three, and the Eagles fall to ten and two on the season with some issues popping up. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, we both got this one incorrect. They would lose. Uh, it's just ridiculous how this ended up happening. But twenty-seven to nineteen, the Chiefs are eight and four in the season. The Packers go six and six, and some of the worst calls of the season in that game. Uh, the refs, yeah, man. they fucked that up. And I'm not complaining. I mean, it, it, it's better for us if the Chiefs are losing. But, yeah, it's just bad all around. And on Monday night, we saw a barn burner of a game with backup quarterbacks eventually. 
uh, as uh, Trevor Lawrence would get injured in this game, hurt his ankle. The Bengals would win the game in overtime, 34 to 31. The Bengals go to six and six on the season, and the Jaguars are eight and four. So, the Jay, how'd we both do this week, and how are we on the season? Still picking pretty strong. Hey, Ian, in a, in a rarity, I edged you out uh, as you were nine and four this week, and the Jay was 10 and three. So just a game off, and that brings our season four of the What's Roll podcast NFL predictions to a total of 71 and 44 for Hayed and the Jays right behind them. Just one game through all these and different ones we split on. Just a one day, one game difference. I am 70 and 45. So 71 and 44 to 70 and 45. So pretty good uh, predictions picking this year by the Worcester Podcast. Yeah, and our, comp- our competition with our picks might be better than a lot of some of these games coming down to the wire here as the season goes on. But now it is time for one of our favorite weekly segments here, the What's Real Power Rankings, where me and the Jay break down each and every NFL team from worst to first. What's Real NFL Power Rankings? And I don't think it's going to be a mystery this week uh, who we have at 32, the Jay. Wow! Our Panther impression. It's the Panthers. 31, not much has changed for me. This is where I have the New England Patriots. Oh, yeah. Get Belichick down in the bowels. This one hasn't changed either at 30 this week, even with their win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is where I have the Arizona Cardinals. I put the Commanders there. Uh, They're coming up for me. Uh, 29 is where I have the Bears, who were on a bye this past week. I'll piggyback you since it's there. I have the Jets at 29, the Bears at 28. All right, we're going to do some piggybacking, too, because at 28 is where I have the Commanders this week, and at 27 is where I have the New York Jets. That's where I put the Titans at 27. 26 for me this week is the New York Giants, who were also on a bye. That's a great minder. And 25 is where I have the Titans. All right, I have the Saints at 25. 24 for me this week is the Las Vegas Raiders, also on a bye. All right, I'll piggyback you at 23. I had the Raiders. I put the Cardinals at 24 since Kyler Murray came back, which, you know, how, how funny is that? Hey, Ed, Kyler Murray comes back. He kind of brings them back to life, and the ownership's probably like, dude, chill. You know? Yeah, like I don't even think they want him on the team moving forward <laughs> yeah, either. So. He's got to screw them in a different way. But th- but they got to play him, and he has to well, do yeah, well, so hopefully do? they can they can move on from him, maybe trade him because he still has a big contract. So uh, 23 this week, this is where I have the Buccaneers. All right. Like I said, I had the Raiders at 23. I'll just throw some at you with some piggyback, and I had the Chargers at 22 and the Buccaneers at 21 before the top Gr- 20. Great minder at 22 with the Chargers, and at 21 is where I have the Saints. And in the top 20 for me this week, a uh, team that was on a bye, this is where I have the Minnesota Vikings. Ding, ding. Great minder. Number 19 is a team that leads their division. It's the 6-6 six and six Atlanta Falcons. I have the Falcons at 19. Another great minder. And even though they got a big win this week, uh, it just is where they are. At 18 is where I have the Cincinnati Bengals. Wow. Great mind. And I scratched a lot of these out. I have a lot of scratch outs here. <laughs> we fell in the same great minds. 17 is the Seattle Seahawks. All right, that's where I put our Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, they're falling fast, trust me, but I have them way up further than you do. 17 this week, or I'm sorry, 16 this week is where I have the Los Angeles Rams. That's where I dropped the Broncos after their close loss. They're coming up for me soon. 15, a big move up for them is the Green Bay Packers. All right, that's where I have the Browns. 14 this week is the Buffalo Bills, who didn't play this weekend. Seahawks at 14. 13's where I have the Denver Broncos. That's where I have the Jags. 
And 12 is where I have the Browns, and 11 is where I have our Pittsburgh Steelers. But if they lose this week, boy, are they going to fall. All right, two teams you already named. I have a bit higher here out of the top 10 are the Packers and the Rams for the J at 12 and 11. All right, number 10 for me this week. This is where I have the Indianapolis Colts. Ding, ding, another great minder, top 10. Number nine for me is the Houston Texans. All right, that's where I have the Bills. I have the Texans at eight. Number eight's where I have the Jacksonville Jaguars. You got seven. Seven's where I have the Kansas City Chiefs. This is where I dropped the Chiefs, too. How about that? Great minds. And six, just out of the top five, this is where I have the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, big big difference there. I have the Lions outside of the top five. Well, I just give that one up to you as we get into the top five because that's where I have the Lions this week at number five. All right, this is a big one. I got a shout-out doing the top five here. Hey, Ed, my number one in my power rankings last week. Drop to number five, which to me, that's why I did it. Obviously, it makes sense with their loss. I have the Eagles dropping to five. Yeah, you're going to be surprised here for me. But uh, And just outside of the top three for me at number four this week, this is where I have the Baltimore Ravens. All right, that's where I put the Dolphins. All right, now I'll do my top three. Three this week, this is where I have the Miami Dolphins. Number two is still the Philadelphia Eagles. And the number one team in the NFL, in my opinion, no doubt, after their big win, this is where I have the San Francisco 49ers. All right, so interesting top three uh, difference, except for that one slot. I'll uh, spoil that. But I have the Cowboys at three. Uh, the Cowboys, to me, uh, this game against Seattle, I'm not saying you know Seattle's world burners, but that's a game the Cowboys could have and would have lost in the past, and they got that big win. Uh, so they're a pretty strong team. They're staying consistent. I have them at three. I put the Ravens at two just because of where they sit. And, yes, the 49ers, when they're fully healthy, they are the scariest team in the league, in my opinion. Absolutely. So now we go into our predictions for week 14, the Jay. And uh, this is a game that if you guys are listening to, you've already seen the result. And, of course, I'm talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers at home hosting the 2-10 and 10 Patriots. <sighs> I'm going to pick the Steelers mainly because <laughs> reluctantly. I, yeah, but the Patriots are terrible. Yeah, so, um, I mean, this is where do you see what's going to happen to the Steelers if they lose this game as far as my power ranking go next week? It's going to be really bad. Yeah, I mean, according to both of us, we concur that the Patriots are the next to last team, in, you know, as the, the year stands. So, you know, if we lose to the 31st out of 32 team, they are going to drop a lot, but I'm, I'm with you. Uh, the Steelers should win this one. And it's going to be an ugly game, too. Uh, I'm so. not looking forward to it. And the Steelers are given six points, which, like, uh, betters, take the Patriots in six. I'll be <laughs> yeah, honest seriously. with you. Because it's the Steelers might win the game, but they ain't going to be by a fucking touchdown. That's for sure. Uh, next up, we have the 5-7 and seven Buccaneers going into Atlanta to play the 6-6 six and six Falcons. Uh, stuck by my boy uh, Baker a lot, but in this one, Falcons have a lot to play for, that that crazy uh, NFC South. I'm going to stick with the Falcons at home on this. Yeah, I think the Falcons win this one. It's going to be pretty close, but uh, that's that's who I think is going to win. Also, we have the 9-3 and three Lions going into Chicago to play the 4-8 and eight Bears, and the Lions are going to roll on this one. Yep, still on the Lions. This one's going to be a hard one, the Jay. The 7-5 and five Colts go to Cincinnati to play the 6-6 six and six Bengals. Yeah, this is a tough one, but I like what the Colts are doing, man. I, I mentioned the dirty white boys and uh, Menchu with the Colts do does his thing. Bengals with the, the quarterback situation, you know, they still got a lot of solid players, but you know, it's tough in the modern NFL when you just don't have that that top tier 
quarterback, you could still squeak out some wins, but it's difficult. All that said, hey, Ed, I'm going to go with the Colts. Yeah, I think the Colts are going to win this game as well. It's going to be close, and I think that uh, people might be a little bit surprised by that, but I do think the Colts pull it out. Uh, also, the 8-4 and four Jaguars are going to go into Cleveland to play the 7-5 and five Browns. Um, I just think the Browns are faltering right now, and even though the Jaguars probably aren't going to have Trevor Lawrence playing this week, I still think they're the better team, and I still think that they get the win. I'm with you, and just curiosity, it's not in front of me. Hey, Ed, do you happen to know offhand who – the backup is in Jacksonville. It's C.J. It Beathard. Night. That's right, Beathard. C- yeah. Yep. Who you might remember, by the way, as being uh, last time he started was for the 49ers just a few years ago. Yeah, because he would uh, he would always be like bet hard, Beathard. That was his gimmick. <laughs> it was just his like comedian. It's true. Get hard, the wrestling fan. Chris. <laughs> Chris, get hard. Not Gethard. Fuck that. It's properly pronounced uh, Gethard, but he's get hard to us. Yeah, it's not not the way we properly pronounce it. But uh, we have the one and eleven Panthers going into New Orleans to play the five and seven Saints without Derek Carr. Who do you like here, the Jay? Yeah, that's the thing. But still, it's one of those things. Doing the power rankings, uh, any given Sunday, it's professional football. Nonetheless, I do not see the Panthers winning this. I'm going with the Saints. Just out of curiosity, your opinion here. So you're coaching the Saints. Do you play Taysom Hill quarterback, or do you put Jameis Winston in? Winston. Yeah, I think I would give him a shot against the Panthers too, because uh, you know Taysom Hill's not bad, but he's no, also you can, not you can exactly. Fil- you know, they're used to filtering him in when they need to. You know, with the weird plays. Yeah, and if it's not working, you know, you can always make the switch up during the game. Yep. Do some like u- unique plays with him and stuff. So it's it's not a lost cause there. Also, the seven and five Houston Texans going to New York to play the Jets, and I think the Texans win that one fairly easily. Yeah, man, I'm on the Texans bandwagon. I'm not saying they're winning the Super Bowl this year, but C.J. Stroud, man, going with the uh, Texans. We have the six and six Rams going into Baltimore to play the nine and three Ravens. The Jay. Yeah, the Rams can, you know, they're, they're still a capable team. They got some guys, you know, again, it's a healthy thing with Cooper Cup and things like that, Stafford, but uh, I, I don't I don't see them uh, beating the Ravens here, though, at home. I'm going to go with the Ravens. So check this out, Jay. Like I told you, the Rams are kind of surging right now, and I know that yeah. Baltimore's coming off a bye week. Uh, they typically don't play well after the bye week, and I'll, I'll explain myself a little bit further here. Um What's the one thing that we saw keep happening repeatedly week after week in the NFL, and we saw it again on Monday night, the Jay? Everybody's talking. Bad refs. And people getting hurt, specifically quarterbacks. quarterbacks. There you go. I'm going to go with the Rams, and I wonder if Lamar Jackson makes it out of this game. You're doing some voodoo. Well, dude, no. I mean, we're in December. This is when Lamar Jackson typically kind of gets smacked around. Yeah. And they're passing. And he was shaken up uh, before the bye th- that week. Yeah, so we'll see how this goes. But yeah, I, I'm sniffing out an upset here. It's very possible that the Ravens win, but I think the Rams might surprise people. And, uh, and I'm going to go with the Rams our first this week. Split this week. Uh, in this god awful game, the six and six Vikings uh, go into Las Vegas to play the five and seven Raiders. Uh, I don't know about this game at all. I'm going to go with the Vikings, but it really could go either way, to be honest with you. Yeah, it can, but I, you know, let's ride some uh, some Josh Dobbs magic with the Vikings against the Raiders. They were thinking about maybe not even starting him this week, so I, I don't even know what the hell's going on in Minnesota, frankly. Uh, this one looks on paper to be one of the better games of the week. 
the six and six Seahawks going into San Francisco to play the nine and three 49ers, the Jay. Yeah, like I said, man, going to my power rankings, number one team right now. Uh, Seahawks, like I said, they're a contender. They can fight, but I don't see them going into what used to be candlestick. <laughs> yeah, whatever the, it's called now. The, yeah, some corporate name. But, uh, yeah, let's go with the 49ers. Hey, uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I think this could be a trap game uh, for the Niners. But uh, even with that said, I still think the Niners win this one. But I wouldn't be surprised if they lost. But I, I think they're going to keep it rolling. Uh, we have the 6-6 six and six Buffalo Bills going into Kansas City to play the 8-4 and four Chiefs today. And I don't know about you, but – and I know the Chiefs are kind of faltering right now, but I'm not betting against Mahomes, especially considering the way Buffalo's been playing. I think the Chiefs get the dub. Yeah, I, I, one of the big things with how competitive the Chiefs regime is in general, but especially guys, of course, like Mahomes, like head coach Andy Reid, like Travis Kelsey, or is his, did he change his name to Travis Swift? We're not sure. Uh, had to throw that dig in there. Hate you. Uh, <laughs> and and Stefan Diggs plays for the Bills, so I'm, I'm rapping in a weird way. Uh, you had to throw that Diggs in there. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah, I'm gonna go with the Chiefs coming coming for revenge from their tough loss with the refs and all the bullshit that happened Sunday night. I will say this though, if they're playing this game in Buffalo, I don't know if I would pick the Chiefs. But well, you know, Mahomes doesn't lose back to back games very often, so I'm just gonna go with that. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have the six and six Broncos going to LA to play the five and seven Chargers. Who do you like here, the Jay? Yeah, this is a tough one, but I like what Sean Payton's. You know, we talked about the Broncos surging and kind of getting turned around by Payton and you know spearheaded by their D. And then we talked about the Chargers' struggles. You know, a solid team, shitty head coach there. I see him getting replaced sooner than later. Um, I'm going to go with the Broncos. Yeah, I think the Broncos are going to pull this one out. They've been playing tougher, and I, I think they're going to have enough to outlast uh, the Chargers for sure. Uh, in the game of the week on Sunday night, by the way, we have the 10-2 and two Eagles trying to right the ship against the 9-3 and three Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys are given three points in this game, which is very surprising to me, but it's obviously because of the home field advantage. To me, the Jay, I don't think that it matters. I believe the Eagles will right the ship, and they're going to win this game. All right, that's a good one to split on because I really think this can go either way. Cowboys at home. Uh, like I mentioned, I'm coming off, you know, kind of looking down on the Cowboys' consistency, lo- losing games they should win a lot of the times and things like that over the last few seasons. This year, they seem to have right, right that, righted that ship a little bit. This is a tough one. The Eagles are going to want to bounce back. I agree with you, but I am going to split with you. I'm going to pick the Cowboys. It's a good – I mean, I, I do think the Eagles are going to win this game, but I also think that the Cowboys are starting to show a little bit more consistency. So Yeah, that's the thing. Honestly, if I would have picked first, I might have went with the Eagles. Um, and I'm not just going against you to go against you, but uh, I think it's a good good one to split on. Yeah, I, I just feel like the Eagles are going to get it together this week. And they typically play pretty well against the Cowboys. But the Cowboys have every opportunity to, to expose a defense that's been giving up way too many points with, with uh, the Eagles, but I think they'll figure it out. Uh, also, we have the 4-8 and eight Titans going into Miami to play the 9-3 and three Dolphins, the Jay. Yeah, this one, that's that, double, that weird Monday night doubleheader of two crappy games. Yeah, uh, hate it. So, uh, but yeah, I think the Dolphins route the Titans in this one. And dude, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll do this first. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Dolphins as well. And, of course, the other Monday night game is the Packers going to New York to play the Giants. 
Um, I think the Packers win that game. Yeah, it looks like Jordan Love's turning things around a bit. I, I liked his uh, competitiveness. They interviewed him after the, the big upset win uh, against the Chiefs on Monday night, and he said he had this this game you know, circled. Like he was looking forward to playing the defending Super Bowl champions. So uh, he showed up, and that momentum, I think, continues against a really struggling Giants team. And, dude, this is really bizarre. I don't really understand the, the thinking behind this. So two games are on Monday night. Uh, apparently, if you guys watch football, you know about the Monday night Manning cast where both the Manning brothers do the commentary during a game. They're going to be doing a simulcast uh, because I don't know if you have all of this in front of you or not, but both no. of these games start at 8.15. Oh, They're I do. Not I didn't even notice times. that. I didn't even yeah. notice that. I looked at both. So that's horrible. I don't know why <laughs> yeah, they would put two games on a Monday night be, at the same time. I, I wonder the reasoning because there has to be a reason, I would think. Yeah, it I doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And, of course, that means that we do have two teams on a bye this week, the 3-10 and 10 Cardinals and the 4-9 Commanders. And if you look at the uh, the teams there and their records, boy, do they both probably need a bye right about now. So we'll see how our picks go uh, as far as next week here on the program. But we are up against another commercial break. And whenever me and Jay, the Jay come back, we are going to be talking all about Scrooged from 1988 to get into the holiday spirit, if you will. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right. It's your boy, the Jay, once again. As the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the Jay can admit, for those consistently listening week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube. Subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube deference, Tubi The Unsung, Churchill Pictures. We create worlds. And we're back. It is time to get into the holiday mood, if you will, uh, with this double feature that we're going to have for you this week of movie reviews. First up, from 1988, starring Bill Murray with Richard Donner's Scrooged. It's a modern take, well, an 88 take, on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, Frank Cross is a wildly successful television executive whose cold ambition and curmudgeonly nature has driven away the love of his life, Claire Phillips, but after firing a staff member 
Elliot Loudermilk on Christmas Eve, Frank is visited by a series of ghosts who give him a chance to reevaluate his actions and right the wrongs of his past. As I mentioned, the movie is directed by Richard Donner, stars Bill Murray, Karen Allen plays Claire Phillips, the, the love interest, and there's a lot of ran like th- nobody's in this movie f- by accident. Uh, John Forsythe is in this. Bobcat Goldthwait plays the Elliot Loudermilk character. Uh, we have Robert Mitchum as Preston Rhinelander, uh, who's Bill Murray's boss in the movie. And of course, uh, we have David Johansson from formerly of the New York Dolls as the Ghost of Christmas Past. Uh, Carol Kane, who steals the show in the movie as the Ghost of Christmas Present. Uh, Alfre Woodard is in this movie, something that I did not remember until I, I first watched or until I watched it this time. Uh, we see cameos in the movie by Jamie Farr from MASH, Robert Goulet, Buddy Hackett, who plays himself, as does John Houseman, Lee Majors, Pat McCormick, Brian Doyle Murray, Mary Lou Retton. Uh, and the one that I was going to bring up to you, the Jay. So there's a scene at the very beginning of the movie where he's walking down the street and he sees like a jazz band playing, like busking on a street corner. And it's barely acknowledged, but dude, Miles Davis is the leader of the band, which is crazy because Miles Davis was pretty nuts at the time. So the fact that he was in this really surprised me. And I had never noticed that before. And I'd seen this movie a few times, but it had been a really long time since I've seen it. Um, But yeah, I actually saw this movie in the theater when it came out. Um, And I could not tell you the last time that I saw it. So I had kind of an interesting experience rewatching this again for the first time in probably almost 20 years. Yeah, that's it's cool because we have two completely different perspectives, which, as we say, can be an an atypical thing here on the What's Real podcast because of our specific topics being mutual interests and all that kind of stuff, because this is actually a personal tradition for the J. I typically watch this every Christmas these days because i'm a huge bill murray fan and for me this is one of bill murray's best roles because i think they purposefully play to all his strengths you know i don't i don't think he would have made a good scrooge in your traditional adaptation of the charles dickens novel but in this retelling with richard donner at the helm and everything I, i think this was just a perfect vehicle you know in the timing of it like you mentioned kind of closing out the 80s with its 88 release late eighties here going into the nineties and stuff. I, I think it just really worked out. You know, it was like the stars aligned kind of uh, film for, for Bill Murray. And I just, I always love this film. It's a personal classic. Okay. So one of the things, like I'm a big Bill Murray fan too, as you know, the J and you know, some of his favorite, some of his, my favorite roles of his, uh, as Caddyshack, for example, uh, he's in its odd timing, but I ended up watching Stripes like a week or so ago. I, I like him a lot in that. Um, Quick Change, of course, which is very, very That's one of his underrated him. ones. Yep. Um, of course, Ghostbusters and things like that. But in most of his movies, Bill Murray obviously is a funny guy, but he's usually like a very likable and things like that. And the one thing that I did not like about this movie is... He is inherently unlikable the whole movie. And I mean, like, he doesn't redeem himself whatsoever until, like, the last 10 minutes of the movie. Um, And it was kind of a crappy experience just kind of watching him be unsufferable throughout. I didn't particularly think he was that funny in this movie. Um, That's something that struck me as odd. 
Because I remember liking Scrooge. It's not like I did. Like, even whenever we were talking about what to do on the show this week, when you brought Scrooge up, I was like, oh, yeah, perfect. Let's do that. Um, I really did not have a good time with this one. I was surprised. Um, I thought Carol Kane was really good in it. She stood out to me. Uh, and I always remember liking her in this movie. I think Carol Kane's a really good actress. Um, and I like a lot of the cameos. But, like, man, it's it's really hard to get behind the character. And I know the whole point of, you know, the, the character is, you know, to have him do, like, this complete 180 as he's visited by the different ghosts of Christmas present, past, and future, and stuff like that. But in this one, it just, I was really taken back by it. It's a lot darker than I remember it being. Um, even, like, the... The character of um, Elliot Loudermilk in the movie, it's like a lot of it has to do with like suicide and shit like that. It's just really bizarre, the tone of the movie has. And I just didn't find it as funny as I remember it being originally. See, I think that's why I kind of like it because, and I've said this in the past, so this is a good time to bring it up again. Okay. There's something about PG-13 specific movies. Like they, yeah, they stand they out a lot be- to me because it seems like they're the ones that like, we're kind of like the misfit toys, so they throw them in well, there. Because we mentioned the whole history of it goes back to uh, Spielberg getting that rating created for him by the Motion Picture Association because of uh, Temple of Doom. And dude, I swear to God that I don't even think that was the first PG thirteen movie. Like, it, but it's close. I forget offhand what it is, but that it might even have been Red Dawn. But that might have been rated R. I might be wrong on that, so don't okay, quote me. Well, on with it. our our power of our sponsor, the, the interwebs. Interwebs. Hey, Ed is is one of the reasons we have him on the show because oh, he is shit, our, I was our right. expert. The first PG thirteen movie officially was Red Dawn. Motherfucker, I'm proud of myself on that. Yeah, that's one. great. I didn't lie. know that. I I always championed uh, Temple of Doom. So there you go. But and, and dude, guess what it beat, which is hilarious. Just to throw this trivia out there while we're at it. What's that? So Red Dawn ended up hitting movie theaters before what would have been the first PG-13 movie, and that would be The Flamingo Kid. Oh, no shit. (laughs) Really? (laughs) How weird is that? Man, talk about one that I haven't seen in a long time, too. Yeah, so it says uh, The Flamingo Kid didn't end up hitting movie theaters until December 1984, which meant that Red Dawn, which technically got a PG-13 rating later from the MPAA board, would beat the Flamingo Kid to the punch as the first PG-13 film seen by the public. Dude, really good trivia question there to kind of throw Yeah, it at. is. Yeah, it, that, it does go cool. on to say uh, we have Gremlins and Temple of Doom to thank, you know, and then there's all this more to it because the first movie to get the distinction was Red Dawn. So, like, that was all that era. Okay. That's interesting. And dude, I was going to say this whenever you first brought it up about how like PG-13 movies are kind of like riding that line and like they're interesting. Yeah, but dude, that's the thing no, about but, them. But not anymore. It's, no, it's that kind of... Like, now now with see, streaming, there's so many movies that aren't even really rated in a lot of ways, you know? As well, as I would like even... Traditionally rated. I would even say that like, you know, like early to mid 90s, it kind of changed because... They, they, dude, they loosened up. The, the rules were pretty loose at first. It was kind of like in a weird, you know, air. Like, put it this way. We, we know what would incorporate an R-rated movie. You know, high levels of violence, nudity, insane language. Like, that. that's not hard to figure out. And PG is pretty simple 
Although there are a few movies that are like, wait a minute, that was fucking PG. Yeah, because we That's talked crazy. about that before everything was really changed because this is a long time ago because Jodie Foster, this was like pre-Taxi Driver even, so she was really young, but the little girl that lived down the lane was PG. Is PG, and, that's and that has a pedophile crazy. in it. Yeah, there's yeah. some crazy shit in that There's one. nude. Like, there's a nude 14-year-old in it. Well, it's technically Joe because that, oh, that was sister who's older than her. But yeah, yeah it's, they, but still, it's but in yeah, the, just in the film, the characters underage, so it's and then, pretty messed up for a PG. And then PG thirteen, whenever that first started, you know, they were trying to make movies for that would be acceptable for a thirteen year old, which is really kind of a weird area, I guess, for that. Like, who's to say what's really acceptable for a third? Because, dude, by the time we were 13, we seen all kinds of Yeah, that's I, I, that's why I do like the fact that it's like parental guidance suggested. It's like, yes, you should have somebody vouch I mean, for you to it, see it, this kind of thing. And I know that they have different classifications, but the way that I always thought about movies was like, gee, anybody can watch it. PG, most like you could go to the theater and see it as a kid and they wouldn't have said anything to you. Uh, PG 13 was pretty much the same way. Um, I mean, if you were like six, you weren't getting into one, but you know, most people could make their way into those movies. Uh, R rated movies, maybe you could get into them depending on what they are, but you could always get into them if you were like with an adult. And NC 17, like your parents couldn't even take you to see those. So, that's pretty much how that breakdown went. And frankly, NC-17 was never really much of a thing. The biggest time period that I remember that being a thing was when Showgirls came out. And, you know, that was what it was. Um, but anyway, back to the movie itself. I mean, it's an inherently New York movie. And I think that you can see that, like, not just in the, the background and everything, but there's a lot of, like, New York people in the movie. It's It's kind of like... Like, a lot of the people back in the 80s, like, that worked on those original early casts of Saturday Night Live were kind of New York actors, so to speak. So, like, you know, like, it, like this movie is an inherently New York movie. It's not surprising when you watch The Stuff and you see Garrett Morris show up in it. Uh, you know, like, the, a lot of those actors were doing things in and around New York at the time. So, it's not a big surprise. But it, it is kind of interesting to see late 80s New York City be featured in a movie that's all about Christmas because New York's always had uh, kind of a legend of Christmas. Like it's a place where a lot of people flock to during the holidays to see a lot of things on display and stuff. And even though that was the case at the time, in 1988, New York was still kind of a dump and was a little wild and crazy. So it's just weird seeing that dichotomy because you're seeing it in, you know, where they're showing you like how the poor people live. And then Bill Murray was obviously rich in the movie. So, and it's weird because those, you know, two groups always kind of coexisted in the city and it made for like a really unique kind of environment because of that. Yeah. I mean, it kind of adds to that time capsule yes. aesthetic that we like, you know, it's just always a cool nostalgic thing on top of everything else, just to relive this stuff, especially as our age kind of changes. And like you said, that's why that perspective is worth bringing up that you haven't watched it in some time. You know, that's why yeah. I always bring that up because you like to give your perspective on, on something you're talking about that you actually saw when it was released, you know, in theaters and, and it's been, you know, over two decades since you really revisited it and, and paid attention to everything for this review. So it's always a cool kind of take on it. And, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm like I said, I, I still watch it every year and it still holds up to me. You know how I am personally with slapstick. 
this, this film has a ton of slapstick. It's probably the most slapstick Bill Murray ever did. Uh, Cause that always gets me, man. Like that's Carol Kane's big quote unquote gimmick. Her character in this, the ghost of Christmas present beats, beats the, the shit fuck out of him the whole time. And I love it. <laughs> you know, the last time that he ever sees her, she hits him with a toaster and he, he wakes up in that like underground, like frozen sewer. And he's like, that bitch hit me with the toaster. <laughs> He's like getting ready to throw down, you know? And then he, he of course sees uh, the Herman characters corpse, Michael J. Pollard. And this is, is one of the homeless people, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that this is like I mentioned, just a, a really good vehicle for, for Bill Murray. I think that, you know, I kind of look at it the opposite that you do with the fact that, you know, I, I think that's the whole point. Like you said, you get it. You know, it's just your take on it. But you know, he 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 plays a despicable person. Uh, you know, really great in this. As far as the, I, I you know, you know, it's funny that it's timely too. Just talking out loud with uh, how much I have disdain for corporate America. You know, and he's the president. You know, of what would basically be like TBS or something like that in this. You know, yep. so it makes me hate him even more until his turn. You know, some of the other highlights, of course. You got to shout out Karen Allen is great as the love interest. Uh, she's she's perfect in the role as like the goody two shoes, all American kind of girl that, you know, he kind of treats like shit, you know, that helps build it up. Uh, John Glover is is a really good actor. I, I, I really liked him uh, from the Smallville show that I was a big fan of. He, he plays uh, the older uh, Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor's father in that. And he's kind of the rival producer to Bill Murray in this. So yeah. that's a good one. Um, and, and as you already mentioned, the Elliot Loudermill character, I think Bob cat, cat does great, great in that. It's really funny role. He has good chemistry with Murray. And, and the last thing I'll mention in, in this rundown, Hey Ed, uh, just two more cameos. Cause you went through them all, but one of the best is the film opens up and it's Santa's workshop getting attacked by terrorist oh, and lee yep. major and, and they're like oh no look it's yeah, a six it's, million dollar man lee yeah majors. santa has that classic line look everybody it's lee majors it's and dude, dude dollar man. i i wish i would have wrote this down but it is fucking funny do you remember what the name of the movie was the the night the reindeer died or something yeah it was, it was yeah. like it was like Santa holds off minions as Lee Majors comes to save the day in the night the reindeer die. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's that kind of stuff that's that's really creative and, and holds up to me, you know. Uh, but but yeah, the, the other thing I was I was going on um, with that, that that always kind of stood out, and we were kind of talking about this off air. You know, because, you know, we, we were even saying, like, like we say, the flow of the show, talk about music, uh, but the New York Dolls, uh, David Johansson uh, does the the great iteration of the Ghost yeah, of he, Christmas Pass as the, as the taxi driver. Yeah, yeah. that's so, that's he is pretty good in that. That's it's probably the best role that I've ever seen him in in a movie for sure. Um, but, dude, you know what? The one thing and I didn't even remember this really. But you know the one thing I really had a problem with in this, and I think it's kind of what makes the movie kind of fail for me? So basically the way – like he goes through seeing the ghosts and everything, and he's supposed to – it's supposed to help him understand Christmas better, and he's like a reformed guy. So how does he show off the fact that he's been a self, selfish dick the whole movie? He wants to help all the people that he made work on Christmas Day, or I think it was Christmas Day, uh, doing the play. During a live broadcast. So what is yeah, he it's Christ, Christmas Eve night in the Christmas or day. Christmas Eve. That's right. So what does he do to show this? He hijacks the live broadcast of a play that a bunch of people worked on. Uh, 
so that he can go on television and give a speech talking about how he's not selfish anymore. And it's just like, so it's like after months of like rehearsing and learning all this shit, like he's like, nah, fuck your stupid show. I'm just coming on here to tell everybody the meaning of Christmas. And it's like, what a fucking asshole. Like it's, it's not a redeeming thing at all. Like, yeah, when it's you just, break it down like that. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's a dude. It's, it, it misses the point of the whole fucking Charles Dickens Christmas Carol. And it's a guy like, there's just a lot of stuff in this that doesn't hold up to me very well. Like it's just badly thought out, I guess. And it's dude, when Bill Murray's not like the lovable goof, it just doesn't work well for me. And I, that's a personal choice. I'm not saying it's a piece of shit movie or anything like that. It's just that doesn't work for me. It's not what I prefer to see him in. Like, I love him as, like, the lovable idiot characters in the movies that I mentioned earlier. Like, it, like Meatballs, he's like that. Like, uh, Stripes, he's like, like, he's a total asshole in Stripes, but he's he's kind of fucking he's funny. He's a lovable and, asshole. And you just, yeah, li- yeah you just kind of like him. And that's gone in this. And, dude, I thought about this. And this is, I didn't even read on it or anything. I don't care that much, but I just think it's an interesting point. Dude, this feels like to me like a role that was written for Chevy Chase. Yeah, uh, the slapstick had me thinking that because that that was Chase's forte. And who's better at being an actual dick than Chevy Chase? And if you know the history between the two guys, I could see why Bill Murray would want it in fucking, "Ah, I'll do it better than him kind of a thing. Yeah, I wonder if there's any. Yeah, that's a good. I'd be very curious to see if that's the case or not here, you know, but. And it's also strange, too. I will say this. Um, And, I mean, I get it. I know everybody wants to work on different stuff. But it's like, you mean to tell me the dude that that made the Goonies, Lethal Weapon, Superman, The Omen, uh, fucking... Hell of a resume for Donner. Radio Flyer, The Toy. Another Christmas movie, by the way. um, Made this. Like, it's just a weird choice for him. Oh, you know, for sure. for, in, in my opinion, anyway. But I mean, it is what it is. Uh, but, you know, as we say, they're not all. And it's it's interesting, too, because I like it sometimes when we come on here and we kind of have like a little bit of a disagreement or of don't course, say things yeah. the same way. I think it makes it kind of interesting. But let's let's do an experiment on the show. I, this has bit me in the ass on, the, on in the past because it's complete <laughs> improv. Because okay. I don't know. I don't know your capabilities like in front of you. But if you can go to IMDb. Okay. And and look up uh, Scrooge and go to the full cast and crew. Okay. And go about halfway down. And I want you to look up uh, the, let me see what his actual, he would be the, I believe the stage manager. All right. So and, I'm going and I'll talk about some other here. stuff. Yeah. So go to the entire cast okay. and crew. Let's and you're going to go down a ways. To uh, you, know what will help you is the pictures. So, what am I looking up again? What's the uh, what's so, the spot? So the, go under, go under, to look uh, well into the full casting crew. Yep, I'm there. To Roy Brocksmith, who who you know is Mike the Mailman. He's actually the actor from Total Recall that Schwarzenegger figures out is uh, fucking oh, with him. Oh yeah, it's the fucking the chick. But look, a, so look, look right under Roy Brocksmith, the name of the stage manager. 
oh, dude, I noticed this the other day. Shawn, <laughs> Shawn Michaels, Michaels spelled yeah, and, like the and, wrestler, Shawn Michaels. And, and it can't just be Not the normal. porn star. He's under stage manager Frisbee. Frisbee. Yes. So dude, all that, that for a I, what's I was, real inside kind of thing. Because I was like, I wonder if Shawn Michaels had. randomly got his name from that. I'm like, <laughs> no, he, he was Shawn Michaels before 88. So yeah, or like, if that, he somehow tried to get in Scrooged, which would be the weirdest thing ever. Yeah, it's like, well, it would say Michael Hickenbottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Michael Sean Michaels Hickenbottom. <laughs> Michael Sean Michaels Hickenbottom. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood, kid. But I thought that was hilarious. But I, I have to shout this out. One of my last highlights, maybe the MVP, definitely the scene stealer, talking about all this slapstick. Hey, Ed, was the freaking censor lady. Oh she yeah, gets, she, was, she gets yeah. destroyed. Like the the one time he's he's yelling at the 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 crew that like the carpenters on the the set of the stage, and she's yelling at him. And at one point he's like, "Guys, just get out of here!" And they're like, "Okay." And the one dude's like, "It's that old gag where he swings around holding that big ass pole." And, yep. and Bill Murray ducks, and she gets knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> and then she continues to get messed up like throughout. But uh, that's Kate. McGregor Stewart. I wanted to give her a shout out, the actress, the lady censor, but she was hilarious in this. And dude, I wanted to bring this up, and this is a little wild, but so do you know how this movie is a pretty dark retelling of, of A Christmas Carol? It makes sense when you look to see who wrote the movie. The movie is written by Michael O'Donaghy, who, if you remember, if you remember the, um, uh, what the hell? It, it, the fat, stupid, whatever the fuck it's called. It's the National Lampoon documentary. He oh, was yeah, the, yeah, yeah. He was the writer that they were like, this dude is way oh, too dark. Oh, he, he was a Saturday Night he, Live guy? Yes. And him writing this actually makes a lot of sense. In the yeah. Long. That's, that's why, it that's why it's a, dark. Yeah, it has the dark themes and stuff like that. But there you go. It's it, fucking wild. It's, I mean, it had to be Bill Murray pulling for the dude. Like, I want him to write this. Yeah, because it's I, funny I, you I, said that because he was a writer on the best of Chevy Chase. So, yep. so yeah, it might maybe been, it might have been written for Chevy. Like it's and dude, here's the thing. Listen to this shit. This is wild. So here's the stuff that Michael O'Donaghy's written movie wise. Right, the things we did last summer from 1978. Uh, he did uh, Dynamite Chicken from 1971. Itsy Bitsy Spider, which was from '92. A movie called Savages from 1972. He did Mr. Mike's Mondo video. He did Tarzoon, Shame of the Jungle from 1975. And he helped write Gilda Live. So, because he wrote some of her material on there. Gilda Radner. But, dude, nothing even remotely close to being this mainstream is Scrooged. So, that's why I think that Bill Murray probably had something to do with that. But it, it, I was really surprised when I seen his name, and then it all kind of made sense to me why it was such a dark movie. But I'm like, that's wild to me that Michael O'Donaghy wrote a fucking Christmas movie, specifically this one. Because I really didn't know that until I was like doing some research and stuff after I watched it. Yeah, yeah that's a great call because I actually pulled up our sponsor, the interwebs, and I couldn't find anything immediately. Like you said, it's... Not worth deep deep diving into it, but just from a quick Google, uh, you know, wasn't really readily available. So very very good conspiracy theory about Scrooged. 
on the What's Row podcast. But yeah, I think that's a great breakdown. But for your boy, the Jay, it's always a, a solid classic to, to throw in. I always really enjoyed this movie. So it's one of my Christmas films. All right, the Jay. So let me throw it back to you. Hit us with a tagline for Scrooged. The spirits will move you in odd and hysterical ways. And as we do here on the show, we have a five-star rating scale. I'm going to give Scrooged three stars. Yeah, I'm ahead to you. I'll throw it at four. Hey, Ed, so it shows you our difference with this one. Fair enough. So we are going to take another quick commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to go even further back to 1974. And even darker, Ed. Oh, way darker on this one. This is Bob Clark's Black Christmas. So stay tuned for that and much more. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey everyone, it's the wizard behind the boards, Cam, doing an ad for my company, High Loft Productions. High Loft Productions is a video production company owned and operated by me, and I specialize in content like music videos, business promo videos, photo shoots, and podcasts like the What's Real Podcast. If you're listening out there and would like to work together, head over to my website, www.highloftproductions.com or find me on social media at High Loft Productions to get started. And welcome back. And it is time for part two of our holiday double feature. This time we go back to 1974 with director Bob Clark's Black Christmas. A sorority house is terrorized by a stranger who makes frightening phone calls and then murders the sorority sisters during Christmas break. Uh, This movie stars Olivia Hussey uh, in a role that, you know, right after the Romeo and Juliet thing. So she was a pretty big deal at the time. It stars Kira D'Elia, Margot Kidder. Uh, It has Andrea Martin, who would go on to fame with SCTV uh, and also has Art Hindle, who I met, by the way. I actually have a signed poster from him and John Saxon from this. And, of course, John Saxon is in it, so you can't go wrong with that. Uh, This is the movie that is considered by many horror fans to be the original precursor of the slasher film. Uh, But And there are going to be some spoilers in this one, guys. So if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend that you go and check this one out. Um, This is not just one of my favorite. This is not just my favorite Christmas horror movie. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, It's absolutely creepy and disturbing. And it really does some things that I don't think it gets enough credit for uh, overall. Uh, The killer in the movie is a faceless killer uh, who you rarely see on screen uh, in any capacity. Um, And he's basically conveyed by showing things in first person, something that John Carpenter's Halloween gets a lot of credit for, but this movie did it a few years beforehand. Uh, And also there's some prank phone calls that the girls at the sorority house get with the killer that you're obviously privy to. And they're some of the most disturbing calls in cinema history. Um, The thing about this movie, and dude, it's one of the things I always got the biggest kick out of, and a lot of people listening may not know this, Bob Clark is the same director as A Christmas Story. So two very, very different Christmas movies with two very, very different tones. Um... This movie, though, to me, is brilliant in a lot of different ways. It looks really well. The pacing in it's pretty good. I've heard people say that this movie's slow, and that drives me crazy because I I don't think it's slow. It's not slow at all. There's a lot of stuff going on in the movie, but you're not you're going to miss a lot of it if you're not paying very detailed attention to it. 
Um, and, and another thing to mention, there's some there's some strong comedy in that. I that, that came up as a note in this watch because I was laughing, you know, like the stuff in the police station and Kidder's character just being a lush. Yes. And dude, I mean, there's some in, in the the old lady character. She's a drunk too, and like has the hidden bottles of liquor, and she's she's funny. And there's a lot of stuff, especially for a movie from 1974, that kind of touches on some taboos. Uh, there's a scene in the movie basically where Margot Kidder's getting a kid drunk at a party. Yeah. Um, there's a guy playing Santa Claus who's basically a foul-mouthed asshole who's just being <laughs> yeah. shitty around children. Um, Olivia Hussey's character with the abortion and yep. the unwanted pregnancy. That's which, a huge theme. Which 74. is a major theme in a Christmas-themed yeah. horror film for 1974, <laughs> yeah, which is pretty That's wild. why they say that they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> you know, it's one of those kind of things involved in it. It has, uh, you know, hints of domestic abuse in it. Yeah. And this movie has, to me, quite possibly the greatest killer in movie history. He's completely insane and unhinged. He does not give a fuck about anything. He's an absolute threat to everybody in the movie. And by that, I mean the the house mother, every girl in the sorority that's in the house, a cop stationed outside of the house to watch over it, and even a 13-year-old girl who, in the middle of the movie, has been found dead in the middle of the park. Yeah, that was wild, too. It's been something that... so. Just to give you guys, and again, we're going to break this down. It's a movie from the 70s, guys, so there are spoilers here. One of the things that I've noticed through the years of watching Black Christmas, and I brought this up to you off the air, and it's one of the most chilling things in the movie. Uh, The ending, first and foremost, is brilliant. You do not find out who the killer is. That is the purpose of the movie. It's absolutely terrifying, and it's something that a lot of horror movies have kind of tried to do, but most of them don't even go there. Um, so you notice in the movie that every time there's been a murder, he makes a phone call and there's the first call in the movie. And at this point, you just see it as a prank call, but you realize later on in the movie that he killed a 13 year old girl in the park before he got in the house, which they show him climbing up the lattice work outside to get into the, to the uh, attic. The movie starts out with one of the girls going missing. She's killed in her room by Billy, the killer pretty early on. And one of the things that's super disturbing about it is nobody can find her and nobody knows what happened to her, including her father who shows up during the movie to pick her up from the sorority house to go home for the holiday. Meanwhile, her body's wrapped in plastic and is sitting in a rocking chair in the attic the entire movie. Um, Now, every time there's a killing in the movie, he makes a phone call. So originally, he makes that first phone call. You find out later it was most likely after he killed the 13-year-old girl. Every time he lops off somebody in the old sorority house, they get another phone call. And in my favorite part of the whole movie, so towards the end, the police show up and kind of save the day. Uh, Olivia Hussey's character has been through hell up to this point. So she's sleeping in a room. And the camera's focused on her. And you hear all the police trying to talk about everything that's going on. And you literally hear the police leave the house. So Olivia Hussey's alive, sleeping in the house. They never caught the killer. And then the credits roll. As you see the outside of the house and as the credits roll, the phone starts ringing. Thus kind of telling you, no one survived the movie. He killed everybody in the sorority house. Now, I like it because it's subtle. It's fucking creepy. And that's something that this movie does extremely well, 
minus the scenes where they basically give you a first-person view of the killer fucking having his little freak-out episodes. And there's moments in the movie where the killer's doing that in the attic or whatever, or he's on the phone just screaming. And in a wonderful scene, too, where the Olivia, Olivia Hussey's character encounters the killer, she goes upstairs to find Barb dead in a room, and she sees his eye from in between a door jar. And it's creepy as fuck. It's so creepy. And yeah. dude, he starts spazzing out. Like he's screaming and trying to get to her in the basement. And they really cleverly do this. So one of the red herrings in the movie is Olivia Hussey's boyfriend because she wants to have an abortion and he's devastated Peter. by this. And he shows up at the end and it's pretty much thought that he was the killer by the police. And of course, they're wrong. And I'm assuming that they would find that out after the movie whenever Olivia Hussey's found dead in the sorority house. So there's so many little nuances that this movie has and it plays them all fucking perfectly, man. It's really impressively done all around. They, they do the one scene with the police and Olivia Hussey's character, Jess, where uh, I think it was, yeah, it's definitely Saxon. So he's Lieutenant Fuller. And he happened to have a, a little bit, not a run in, but like they kind of knock into each other when Saxon's going into the sorority he's house. Leaving and leaving. And he's coming, yeah. Yeah. And, she, and he's like, Who was that? And she's like, That's my boyfriend. He's like, Were you guys fighting? And she's like, Yeah. And she ends up actually disclosing to, to Saxon's character that she is pregnant because he you know, hears like, it over the phone when they're trying to trade. Dude, I, by the way, that's, which is great. That's something that's lost to time because phones don't work that any that way. Yeah, but you, dude, you wouldn't be able to do that. That was a great way to do that, as it took time and actually they had the cop at the phone company trying to like run to the place and like it builds up tension really well. Because yeah, that's the thing, the logic in psychology of the film, just everything just checks out. Like you're saying, it's just so layered and detailed. Yep. And that's what makes things classic, you know? And, but, but my whole point is he, he kind of, they, they kind of figure out that Peter couldn't have been the killer at that scene because yep. he was there when the phone, the one phone call was made. She yes. Said, oh yeah. Cause she was actually kind of suspecting him too at that point. And they, and then she realizes that and she's like, Oh, he couldn't be the killer. You know, it's really smart. Like most Slasher movies are they do red herrings, but a lot of them are done poorly, kind of on purpose right. and it's, stuff. Yeah, this or they movie, just can't think of a better, more it, logical reason. They're like, well, we just have to go this route. And the thing that I love about Black Christmas is it there's literally nothing in the movie that isn't done with without pure intent. Like it's all done on purpose. It's all done for a reason, and everything just kind of lines up as the movie goes along. And and in the end, it's like, see, I think a lot of people might see like or let's say they heard about the ending. They think that it's like a cop-out. But it's amazing how a movie where they don't find the killer or even reveal the killer to the viewer pays off like this. It's it's almost That's probably why people feat. call it a slow burn. You know, yeah. people that like are kind of frustrated with it that don't really get it or see the nuance. You know, because, again, you talk about stuff that's lost these days. I mean, like nowadays, you look at the latest Halloween movies and Michael Myers is this huge dude, but he's getting fucked up by Jamie Lee Curtis and all this stuff. It's like this film, the dude doesn't even get fucking touched. No. Like you said, he barely gets seen. He's, he gets seen one time. It's it's assumed that he probably spent time in the house. 
Um, yeah, because he knows the layout and everything. And it's and it's a dude. It's a great fucking that that's amazing how they because it's like a big sorority house with all these nooks and crannies and an yeah, attic yeah, and like, and it's and dude, there's something to be said too. And I don't know why necessarily this works so well. Maybe in my opinion, it's because of the style aspect of things, but because everything's decorated for Christmas, there's a lot of like colors and lighting effects and stuff that work really well for what they're trying to do. And dude, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when the Barb character, Margot Kidder, gets killed. She gets stabbed to death in her room by a glass unicorn. And it's when the kids show up, like the, singing the fucking religious Christmas carolers. And, yeah. and like Olivia Hussey is um, distracted watching them out the front door. And then the woman runs up and she's like, kids, get in the car. And the lady's like, what's going on? She's like, kids, get in the car. And then whenever they go to the car, she's like, I don't know if you know, but they found a 13-year-old girl dead in the park. And she's like, oh, I've heard. You know, so like everything's on edge. You don't really know, like the first watch of this movie, you don't really know if there's maybe multiple killers or certain things going on that have nothing to do with this. Uh, in the neighborhood that they're in, there's a search party of neighbors going around trying to make sure everything's safe. And it's amazing because with the killer being in the house, the cops are aware of everything. Uh, John Saxon's actually really good as the detective in this. He's like on top of everything. And like, he's not like a bumbling, you know, detective or anything like that. It's just that the killer is so far ahead of everybody else that he's like, dude, it's, the killer, the Billy character in this movie is fucking bone chilling, man. He it like he is not concerned with anything. Anybody can get it. He kills a cop, fucking sorority girls, the old lady, the 13-year-old, and no one even detects him in the entire movie, man. It's amazing how they build up tension and stuff like that without the the stock and slash scenes and stuff like that. It's really an absolute masterpiece of horror, man. Like, I'm jealous of Bob Clark making this. Like, I wish yeah, I could make something, it's something even that should as be good studied. You yes. Know, if you're thinking about making a slasher, I mean, this is a definite 101. As yeah. Call it. It's better than what a lot of the stuff, if not all of the stuff that was made during yeah, it, the Because it gets lost in, in translation a lot of ways, too, because people will be like, oh, it's one of the best christmas slashers or what a horror movie and like like we're saying like this is an all-time classic film period. dude i don't know how you feel on this but i know you knowing me and you know the stuff that i like that you'll understand the gravity of what i'm about to say here black christmas all around is a better movie not just a horror movie but it's a better movie than john carpenter's halloween it is it could definitely be argued it's it's craftier. I think it's better written. It's not, it's not filled with any sort of cliche or anything like that. And it's also been argued that Black Christmas was a big influence to, to Halloween. But Carpenter's kind of refuted that. Um, but I, it's hard to believe that somebody would have seen Black Christmas and not that, that's made Halloween. Like, it's just hard to believe that somebody like Carpenter wouldn't have seen Black Christmas. I think that he would have. That's just my opinion on it. Not calling him a liar. He might just not remember. You know what I mean? He might not no, remember seeing yeah, it. You, can't. you don't always know the things that influence yeah, the art that call, you make type tough. thing. But yep. but like this is an absolute masterpiece of horror, man. And it's now this is something that I watch every year uh during the Christmas season because I think it's so brilliant. Like it's it's a movie that's always stuck with me. 
It's one of my favorite horror movies. And I just think that everything about it is like, it just functions perfectly. Yeah. Another thing too, there's a couple interesting tidbits that I wanted to throw out there. Hey, Ed, and one, uh, as we do is from IMDB and it's the trivia. And this was really cool. It says in 1986, Olivia Hussey met producers for the film Roxanne. Uh, that came out in 1987. That was kind of like the well, Steve Martin. You know, re- remix of uh, Serena de Bergiac. He had like the big nose, which, you know, ironically, Steve Martin, I love the man. You know, he has a huge honker in real life. He does. But, he, you know, they kind of played off that. Uh, and I, I think that went to Daryl Hannah. But uh, I digress. Since they were interested in casting her for the title role, so they were looking at Olivia, Olivia Hussey at the time, and she had first met co-star Steve Martin, and uh, he would say to her, oh, my God, Olivia, you were in one of my all-time favorite movies. And, of course, she's thinking Romeo and Juliet from nope. 68, which we actually watched in uh, School. junior high. Yeah. I always remember that. Yeah, because, you know, of course, there was boobies in it, which is a big deal with Olivia's uh, bare breasts. I digress, hey, Ed. I get easily distracted, as you know. It's true. <laughs> uh, but whether it's Steve Martin's honker or Olivia – Hussies honkers, the J, <laughs> the J has a adult ADHD to the heavens. But anywho, uh, so Steve Martin says to her, "Oh my God, you were in my favorite movie." And she's thinking Romeo and Juliet, and she was surprised to find out it was actually Black Christmas, which Steve Martin claimed he had seen uh, around twenty-seven times. He would say so. Uh, if if we ever meet Steve Martin, we know a, a good icebreaker had is yes indeed our our mutual love of black christmas and and this is actually a a bit of trivia i wanted to throw at you because you're our local resident expert here on the show and i couldn't see this in any initial stuff i brought up on imdb but there was a poster uh, amongst a a bunch of the different posters they have Mm -hmm. for black christmas and this one in particular because i thought maybe it would be in a a different language because i saw some of those but this one's not it's all in english Mm -hmm. but it's it Calls the movie Silent Night, Evil Night. Yes, and I actually have that and, original poster, believe it or not. So I never knew anything about that. So was that just a did they change the name for just an alternate title? There was yep. no real nope. rhyme or reason or anything. Okay. See a lot of see. So I don't know if you realize this or not, but Black Christmas is a complete, completely Canadian production. Um, so like, I knew Bob Clark was Canadian. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they yeah. they basically would retitle it for different markets like in silent night evil night was probably done for drive-ins and stuff in america okay, that makes sense there you uh, go. and here here's an interesting tidbit so this is whenever you made a movie back in the day under the canadian tax laws so to speak so you can get canadian funding for the arts um you had to make a movie that consisted mainly of canadian actors so Kier delia is canadian margot kidder's canadian uh andrea martin's canadian uh art hindle and lynn griffin are canadian uh, John Saxon's American, but you're allowed to have one American. John, John Saxon's American is fuck. And Olivia Hussey is British. So that's how they were able to get the actors in the movie. Um, wow. But if, they, if Olivia Hussey was a, a United States citizen at that point, they wouldn't have been able to put her in the movie. They would have lost the funding for it. So um, that's how uh, Bob Clark was able to do this. And I think a lot of people don't realize this. But Bob Clark actually had a, a couple seminal horror movies before this came out. Uh, of course, he he would come out with uh, his original, which is Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things in 1972, which had a massive following in drive-ins through across the United States. And he would also go on uh, to make 1974's Death Dream, a.k.a. Dead of Night, uh, which is one of the very first movies ever written 
that had something to do with a young soldier returning home from yeah, Vietnam. Vietnam. PTSD. And, and it's also, I don't know if you know this or not, this marks the original uh, on-screen effects appearance by Tom Savini. It was the first movie he ever did effects for. It was Bob Clark's Death Dream. So I do uh, remember that. And, of course, I don't know how many people know this. I mentioned it already uh, that he made uh, Bob Clark made a Christmas story. But he also made uh, Porky's, which was uh, something that he's super famous for. He made Turk 182, which is a well-known movie from the 80s that was known as being a big flop. Um, he also made stuff like uh, Blonde and Blonder, which is really weird with Pamela Anderson. And he also made Baby Geniuses, if you yeah. remember that movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there was a couple things like that. But uh, one of the things I always gave Bob Clark credit for was he made movies that were in different genres. Uh, and oh, I, that's, yeah, that's what I like to do. That's impressive. And he did some classics in those genres. So, and, yeah. and without a doubt, in my opinion, and I'm probably sure in yours too, Black Christmas belongs amongst those classics. Oh, for sure. This is a classic. Bonafide. So as we do the J, and it has one of my favorite ones of all time, hit us with a tagline for Black Christmas. If this picture doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. And as we do here on the program, the J, we got a five-star rating scale. What are you giving Black Christmas? I'll go five. It's Same. where we do them. It is a classic. It's, a, it, it's a must-see. It's absolute. Like like I said, it, kinda, you know, it needs to be studied. So and dude, it's it up there for me. I would probably put this in my top 10 horror movies of all time. <laughs> you know what's hilarious? That I just realized that it's, of course, only your boy with just the randomness. Okay. But two of the, two of the only movies that I've given five stars to on the What's Roll podcast <laughs> are D- Die Hard and Black Christmas. <laughs> Both Christmas movies, by the way. Both Christmas. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the J so only gives five. If you want a five star from the J, it better be yeah, Christmas make, better make be Christmas in there movie. somewhere. Or better, yeah. or better have uh, Bruce Willis or fucking Kier Delan. <laughs> yeah, or a lot of a lot of boobs. Yeah, Sedaris. It's it's amazing. Sedaris hasn't gotten five stars in the J yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's because there's always some other major perfunctionary issue with the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, there's a ton of tits, but nobody can read, so it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> But I hope you guys enjoyed our breakdown of Black Christmas. If you have not seen it, I highly recommend it. Uh, but we are up against our very last commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and talk some goofs. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. This is it from the What's Real Podcast for Height Apparel, your one-stop shop for fashion retail. For one-of-a-kind shopping experience, stop by Height Apparel. Founded by Eric Walker, our business brand is based around people who are of average height, 5'10 and under. We will have the season's greatest fashion picks. Whether you're on the lookout for men's clothing or accessories, stop by and browse our latest collection. That's Height Apparel, H-Y-G-H-T, apparel.com. Again, that's HeightApparel.com. Hey, everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Goofs. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So, the Jay, what do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, we're getting to get winterized here. Hey, yeah, and things are beautiful. Uh, knocking the team, got all the ornaments on the pine trees down here at the lagoon. And all the animals have been taken into all their appropriate habitats. Hey, so uh, after last year's disaster, I'm sure you remember the travesty that was the impromptu penguin farm 
that erupted here down at the Witzerl Studios. Uh, we couldn't keep up with the budget this year, so there are no penguins. Hey, you know, I, I do see deer on yonder, so we do still have some uh, wildlife, but the penguin farm kind of screwed things up from having winter friends, you know, animal friends around. Yeah, it's getting weird around here, to be honest with you. There's just always some kind of weird-ass animals. But frozen over or not, hey, yeah, the waterfall is still present, and there will never be a, a, a lack of flow as goofs or goofs. 187, the murder edition of Gerg. Bang, bang, gang. Bang, bang, gang, all up in the his for shiz. Uh, first up, we're starting with something that we were pissed that we didn't come up with back when we were teenagers. Hey, yeah. As if a backyard wrestling league from scratch wasn't enough for our group of friends known affectionately as Generation F. But I could tell you this. A hood bike league is cray. Oh, dude. And I that, sent you the footage. It's amazing. It's the best thing maybe ever. Yeah. So, so for those with the visual, a hood bike league is a highly competitive bicycling race where they just use flashlights at, at uh, night and race their little bikes and have the most hilarious commentary of all time during the race. And then they get fucking annihilated when they wreck. It's like, yeah. what is happening? Jesus. It, for those interested, as we always do, check out at I am Lil Rico on X. <laughs> one of our one of our new sponsors of the show. Shout yeah. out Lil Rico. <laughs> Lil Rico. And in a, in a follow-up to Goose or Goose 186 from last week where we had the infamous taco bell orgy um have we, there's, have we there's, figured out if there was more than four people involved? yeah because there's more news as the uh one of the taco bell employees is suing after well, the uh, again that used that word uh alleged forgive orgy me at the uh, boozy holiday party forgive me did you say there was more news or more nudes both hey got it i got it yes but if you will. Yeah, the latest is that one of the employees is suing Taco Bell. Uh, the woman says she witnessed a co-worker having sex with his wife in front of everyone at the party while starting to kiss another employee before one of them then vomited in her guacamole bowl. Or and as we've dubbed it here on the show, the fuckamole. The fuckamole. Yeah, and, and we, um, you know, we've kind of broke this down, so I don't want to take too much time on the follow-up, but some of the things was that she claimed that after they were fired, someone associated with the fire parties retaliating against her car window. So this is going to complaints to Taco Bell's HR as she accused coworkers of sending text messages to her, calling her a stupid fucked up slut. <laughs> and <laughs> as one as, as well as one saying they wanted to quote unquote break your face <laughs> i love the j is like the news reporter like as he called her quote a stupid fucked up slut <laughs> yeah. end, quote. That he would, end quote and that he would also quote break your stupid face end quote but yeah, like I said to you when this was breaking, I mean, just off the bat, the headline kills me. Alleged orgy at boozy Taco Bell holiday party. These motherfuckers took the term live moss seriously. Yeah, I was going to say, talk about live, live moss. Fuck a moly. Fuck a moly. And I sent you this one. There was footage of Jerry Rice. He was in Philadelphia for the recent uh, 49ers and Eagles game. And of course, he's getting heckled. But it's fucking legend Jerry Rice 
as he just shows the Philly fans what's up and just holds up his uh, Super Bowl ring filled hand. <laughs> I, I like to just think that that Jerry Rice just carries all four of his Super Bowl rings with him at any given time. So anytime somebody says shit to him, he just like pulls them out and puts them on with his mangled ass fingers. Yeah, him and Brady. Jesus. Carried everywhere. Fuck Brady. I actually respect your rice. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great one I just sent to you. The popular video game uh Fortnite. <laughs> okay. Uh, somebody somebody recreated the B Rabbit versus Papa Doc rap battle from eight mile in Fortnite. <laughs> yeah. Dude, there, <laughs> there's been like full out concerts on Fortnite and shit. Yeah, it's cause uh it's uh all they're called modders. M O D D E R S, and they can uh, they have the expertise to be able to kind of back end into these games, and it's also hilarious to me the clay, as, you know? as they like move towards the crowd, and it's like weirdos in superhero costumes instead of real people. There's like five of them, and they're just like hopping around. Yeah, like Dude. imagine, like I know that we're old for this shit, but like imagine literally you like calling me up, and like, dude. What are you doing uh, tonight, man? I think we're going to go out. I'm like, can't, dude. I'm watching an Eminem rap battle on Fortnite. I'm going to be tied up for a few hours. That's, that's what happens. Hey, Ed, we're the new, you know, it's the next generation. And we're the old people on the freaking rocking chair on the porch. Just <sighs> not understanding shit. Get off my lawn, motherfuckers. Yep. I just sent you this one. This was from Nock and Cam. So they sent us this video. Hey, Ed. And for those listening and not seeing, this is twin lagoons, stunning blue lagoons framed by vertical karst walls on Corin Island, Philippines. But the reason that it's on the What's Real podcast and Goose or Goose is because these are our plans and specifications yes. for the the stuff that we're going to do in renovating the lagoon. So this and is I, what it, it could I, look like here. And I don't know if you were talking to Nuck or not, but he informed me that this will be completed by 2137. So that yes. will we'll, we'll be uh, cyborgs at that point. It, it says it all that Grand Theft Auto 6 will be coming out before the Lagoon renovation. Yes. Can't wait. But it happens. Uh, I'm sending you this one. Uh, this is one of our favorite X guys. So we'll shout him out at Super 70s. This just is a say, great account. Just say Twitter because it sounds like we like a porn star. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So this was entitled, Good Luck Contending with These Two in Your Nightmares Tonight. <laughs> and it's two kids from the 70s in their, like, knitted w- winter gear, I guess you could say. They're in with, sweaters. With sweater masks. <laughs> with sweater masks. And they, they look like... Uh, nightmare know, fuel. Definitely nightmare fuel. You know, somebody put Goblin Mode on here or Hellraiser 4 out of ideas. But um, <laughs> yeah, for officially out of ideas. Yeah, there somebody who pitched sweater masks in the seventies had a bad idea because it never, never clicked. Hey, y'all. I didn't think they were dressed appropriately for the Carter service, but who am I to say? Yep. And just <laughs> while we're on uh, nightmare fuel, I just sent you this one. This is our gross out story of the week. Great. Uh, Randall Randall Bird, uh, his coworkers say they walked in on him sweating profusely with his zipper wide open. Uh, the bad thing is he's security at a, should we say where corpses are, you know, put to rest the morgue. <laughs> I was trying to avoid it. 
but when you're doing a necrophilia story, hey, Ed, you got to go all out, I guess. So, yeah, he was uh, doing some – what was uh, <laughs> Mo- Moxley's f- finisher? <laughs> the Dirty Deeds. <laughs> he's he's dude, doing Dirty Deeds. Some, some dude said on Twitter – Okay, I get the body is dead, so give him three months in jail. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Jesus. Yeah, so yeah, that's your necrophilia story of the week, so we apologize in advance here on the What's Real uh, Airwaves. (laughs) Next up, uh, this one was was pretty funny. Um, It's the Internet Hall of Fame, hey, Ed. So get get ready for this. I'm surprised we haven't been invited to the ceremony since the interwebs is one of our sponsors here. Oh, we shall. But yeah, the headline is a Chicago teen sleeps with all five of his bullies moms to assert dominance. Dude, and there's a is, picture of the little kid with five women pictured under him. <laughs> this kid's like the Thanos of getting back at bullies. <laughs> like, yeah. He just got the infinity stone after he banged the fifth one. He's like, none of you motherfuckers are fucking with me now. All right. So you're going to have to read this on the air. Hey, Eel. Oh, man. I'm sending it to you now and you could take over. The headline is, I can't stop laughing at the heavy <laughs> word in this sentence. <laughs> the horngus of a dongfish is attached by a skungle to a kind of dill sack, which I don't know if this is real or if it's from that one episode of Rick and Morty. He's like, <laughs> yeah. like, put your flongle in my mushmong. Yeah, yeah, that was South Park when they do the uh, reality oh, yeah, show of Earth. <laughs> yeah. And they're partying with the execs. And they're yeah. like, doing alien coke. Like, Oh, God. Yeah, the, the horngus of a dongfish is attached by a skungle. To a kind of dill sack, the newt sack. <laughs> it's, it's like, dude, it's like, I'll give you $450,000 if you can transcribe this into layman's English for me. Yes. And this uh, goes in again, flow of the show with uh, reestablishing our lagoon for season five of the What's Real podcast. This animal we did purchase. Hey, Ed. So we're going to be working on a name. And he's going to debut here at the Woods Rule Studios in the spring of 2024. He's a pygmy marmoset, which is the smallest monkey in the world. Look at this little fuck. Cute as shit. Looks like he's straight out of Star Wars. Dude, we're going to name him. Nuts definitely going to step on this thing and kill it. And it probably cost us $147,000. Uh, it's a lot more than that. Hey, yeah, but fuck. You know how it is. You typically don't have to worry about the budget. So we won't even have to disclose that. This one entitled, How Does This Happen? Let's get your reaction live on air. Hey, Ed, as you get this one. it's I say this about 700 times a day anyway. So Yeah. Did you see the footage yet? What the fuck? Yeah. So for those listening, it's a man with uh, a hole in his head as big as a football. And you can see it's his head's hollow. I guess his brain is somehow still in the other three quarters of his skull. I just have one question for you. Would you eat Fruit Loops out of this dude's head? I mean, for ten thou. No, I mean just for a free bowl of Fruit Loops. No. <laughs> it's like, dude, you can eat it, but like, eat it fast and don't be rough with oh, scraping I would be the bowl. It. Yeah, I would eat it fast, and I would not scrape. Yeah, I, I, oh, Jesus Christ! Uh, this awful. next one I sent you, hey, Ed, is an 1862 mouse trap 
And it's the most American thing ever. It, <laughs> it's this whole fucking thing. It's built like a fucking cannon. Yeah. Like watch one of the fa- they, they have a fi- fake mouse to test it. And the fake mouse just pretty much blows up. There's like gunpowder in it. <laughs> Do you see the mouse blow up? Yeah, what the fuck? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. 1862, where the safety of children was not a thing. It's like, fuck uh, little Billy. We got to get rid of these mice. We're all going to yeah. get dysentery. Uh, I sent this to you. This is our viral video of the week where this dude pretty much breaks his back. He's an idiot, <laughs> middle-aged man <laughs> wearing full pajamas and goes down a homemade slide. And oh, just breaks his, yeah, he breaks his tailbone. The, the best is his little daughter's reaction. Because oh. she she knows yeah she knows he's hurt. She's like I'm eight and I knew this was stupid. Yeah, it's like Dad, your tailbone is you're gonna uh, need surgery. By the way, just seeing the way that the dude looks, I just wanted to say R.I.P. Todd Chrisley. Yeah, <laughs> dickhead. Chris, it, it turns out that Chrisley does not indeed know best. Yeah. Stupid. Fuck. He, he surely doesn't know the best for his tailbone. Uh, th- this one here is a great professional wrestling highlight that is competition to the Kevin Nash and Rey Mysterio spot with the dude. NWO invasion where he lawn jarts them. This That's, dude gets lawn darted into a, a guardrail and sticks for yeah. a solid two seconds. Shout out to the fucking tarp there that clearly fucking yeah, saved his held life. him, held him inside. I don't know. Like, well, the, I mean, he's probably paralyzed, but well, I just alive. like how the, the he he lawn darts in the thing, and the dude that he did the move to somehow caught his legs backwards. <laughs> like, look yeah. how he catches them. It's like, what the fuck? Like, well, I guess you did your part, dude. <laughs> yeah. The fuck? Like, gotta love Mexico, where wrestling's very complicated and people are very loosely trained. <laughs> yeah, the fuck. <laughs> This uh, continues the Spider-Man fetish that we've had on GRG the past few weeks. <laughs> this is one of the best ones yet is this idiot. He's trying to do a Spider-Man impression on one of those chin-up bars like you put up at your house. And it breaks when he's doing the Spider-Man. He falls right on his head. Question. Who's neck is, whose neck is in worse shape? Fake Spider-Man or the lawn dart luchador? Yeah, there we go. We, we have a poll. It's the battle of the century. <laughs> Yeah. Whose whose neck can withstand horrible, pointless damage? Yeah. Next up is entitled "The Best Video in the History of the Internet." I'll so we'll be it, the judge of that. It has a lot to live up to, hey Ed, but this one needs volume. Okay. Which usually fucks things up on the What's Real podcast, which we love to do. Yeah, but this dude, you know, shout out to our friend Tim. Oh, Rose. I've seen this. This is yeah. amazing. Did you catch the game last night? He kind of has the Tim Gross like lip look, you know, that Tim has. <laughs> and he's basically the worst actor ever. Tim's the best. This dude's the worst. I don't know if like this this is like the uh the training video for when you work at Ground Round in 1982. <laughs> yeah. Like don't forget he's, to ask him if they saw the game while you sliced the meatloaf. Like, is that meat good? He's like, like no, this this is and he like looks down like you know like is, this this is the good meat. It's like is is that meat any good? Like is it still raining out there? Yeah. <laughs> like whatever you say, don't answer the question if the meat's any good. Yeah. Like I, I like how you strolled in. Like what do you mean? Like I like how you stroll. Like what? I just like I like the way you walk. 
Could you imagine like, this what? dude, like, You're if weird. this dude time traveled to 2023 to do this somewhere? He'd be like, like, is it still raining out there? Like, shut the fuck up, doofus. Yeah. Like, like goddamn, this, this job sucks. <laughs> yeah. I get paid $4 an hour, the same amount I would have gotten in 1982. And our last video of the week, hey, Ed, is Grandpa is coming in hot. And it's at one of those slide places where you kind of go down on a thing. And Grandpa comes down going like 100 miles an hour and goes into like the uh, potato sacks and just front flips, <laughs> which presumably is to a broken back. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine if you saw your grandfather just coming down like 80 miles an hour on this slide and then just gets front flipped? Like RIP. Dude, the best. Do you know what the best part is? Watch well, it again and tell me what the best part is. Probably the fact that his his back's like okay now. It's like no. a chiropractor. No, you're missing the best thing in the whole video, right, dude. I I'm swear to God. The idiot on the uh, right? It's the grandpa. Oh, Watch his hat. He, his hat goes yeah. fucking in, and he goes into another time zone. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's like, it's like this, this happened in fucking like <laughs> Lithuania and it's like his, his hat was found in the fucking like it by the pyramids. <laughs> watch, watch the thing I was talking about at the ver very beginning. Just keep your eyes on the dude on the right. Something comes flying. It looks like the kid threw something at him. Or yeah, something. they're like, "Oh, good job, dickhead!" And they throw <laughs> a ball at him, and then and then Grandpa immediately dies. Like, yeah. look, maybe we shouldn't have taken his old ass. Like, plus, why the fuck is Grandpa such a goddamn daredevil? Yeah. Everybody else is normal, and then here comes Grandpa coming at the speed of light. Like, you like just Grandpa Joe was a paratrooper. He had eleven confirmed kills in World War Two. It's like, dude, whatever you do, don't fucking ride the slides at Action Park because this will yeah. happen to you. <laughs> but as I say to my Brutus from another Moodist, between hook bike leagues that we should have been the founders of, to the Horngus, Dongfish, Pygmy, Marmoset mascots, dudes with half their skull missing, mousetraps from 1862 represent America, Todd Chrisley breaking his goddamn hip, it goes on and on, hey, Ed, and always with the waterfall in and of itself, it, there truly always will be, and they always are, goofs are goofs. So we're winding down this week. Of course, that means it's time to shout out to our producer, Cam, who puts all the hard work into the show. We appreciate what you do, brother. And as we know here in the program, nobody beats the motherfucking whiz. The J Clang Clang. Clang Clang. Still the podcast tag team champions of the universe. Still undefeated. Never going to lose. We're the best. Fuck you all. Uh, of course, if you have anything you'd like to add to the show, you can do so by email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Once again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. If you'd listen on iTunes, we'd appreciate a five-star review. Helps out the algorithm and gets more eyes and ears on the program. And of course, you can listen each and every week on all, all of your favorite wherever podcasts. Wherever podcasts are found, you can listen to us there. So, but before we get out of here, hear the J revving it up. So the J, take it the fuck away. Revving it up like I have a bonus of GRG 187, the homicide edition. I just sent it to you. Hey, Ed, the careers of Will Smith and Johnny Depp are so off. I saw this on TMZ. This is real. And I was dying as it says, Will Smith posts a clip of him hugging Johnny Depp. Where were they? You ask, hey, Ed. At the Red Sea Film Festival. 
That's from fucking the, Saudi Arabia. The Red Sea Film Festival. Yeah, it's of where course. All, it's where all shamed celebrities go to get worshipped like they because in Saudi Arabia, nobody cares what the fuck you do. Again, a big flow of the show. Q, the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase's music. Yeah. Money, 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 money. Very good. Great rendition, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll have him edit it over. That's why he's the wizard. But as I say, all my shout outs, love the show. To that wizard that I just brought up, thank you for what you do, Cam, our producer. The best in the biz, the best that there is. I'll use one of my lines for you, Cam. That's how much I love and appreciate you. He does that. 16K constant, consistent weekly. Sound among sound. And to you, hey, Ed, it was another great ride. I appreciate the skate, man. I needed it. Life is stressful. The what's real world is not. Love you for it. To those hearing my voice right now, I love you too. Stay safe. Stay healthy out there. One more episode of season four. I can't believe it. The season finale, baby. You'll be here in the J next week. So that's it for us here on the very murderous episode 187 of the What's Real podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for the season finale episode 188. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you here next week on the What's Real podcast. What's real?